Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of August 25th, 2022, including Opening Night Live took place this week to kick off Gamescom 2022, and with it came tons of game announcements, release dates, and more. Dead Island 2 is back from the dead, no pun intended, and also Sonic Frontiers and more Destiny 2, baby. On this day in Xbox history, the year 2017, Naruto Shippuden, Ultimate Ninja 2, Storm, no, Ultimate Ninja Storm 2, uh, released on the Xbox One. Wait, no. Also, Naruto Shippuden, Ultimate Ninja Storm 3, Full Burst. How could you forget about the Full Burst version of, of Storm 3? As well as Naruto Shippuden Ultimate Ninja Storm Legacy, of course. What what good is two or three in, in three full bursts without a legacy? And, and and naturally they wrap that all together in Naruto Shippuden Ultimate Ninja Storm Trilogy. Wow. All released on the Xbox One in the year 2017. Who could forget that seminal release in Xbox history? Guys, fuck. I just wow. <laughs> what a what a great moment to remember. Not a hint of sarcasm to be uh to be to be heard. Guys, welcome to Xbox on episode 169. Hey. It's uh it's Gamescom, baby. We're in a good mood because there's lots of video game news. We've had a pretty dry summer. I mean, let's face it, we've got a pretty dry year or rest of the year, I should say, ahead of us. And uh, it's been it's been relatively slow on the news front for a while now. We had a decent news drop a couple weeks back, but really without, you know, with that exception aside, it's been pretty dry. But that all comes to an end starting today. You heard me. Gamescom happened. Our boy Jeff Keighley said, nah, we're not getting fucking Dwayne The Rock Johnson to advertise Black Adam, whatever the fuck that is. Advertise that movie for 35 fucking minutes during a video game presentation. We're not doing that. It's not Summer Games Fest. We're in Europe, baby. We're in Germany. We're talking about some goddamn video games, and that's exactly what happened. So I'm excited to get into all that with you guys. We've got some juicy video game news to talk about. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of just assuming you guys understand these references, but if, if you saw Summer Games Fest, you know what that is. Be sure to watch Black Adam, which is a sponsor, the sponsor of the show, uh, coming to theaters probably some fucking time this year, and then probably on one of those streaming services. Anyway, guys, let's kick off. Because we have a lot of news to get to, we won't, we won't dilly-dally. We won't get too in the weeds with all my bullshit. Let's dive right into our our updates, our stories of mild amusement, and all those kinds of things. Corrections if necessary, but spoiler alert, there are no corrections. I'm goddamn genius. And then we'll just jump right into Gamescom and all the news, because even after Gamescom, we got some spicy news stories to get to as well. So kicking things off, guys, I need to bring up something that a huge bit of Xbox news, that sounds almost uh, contradictory, a, a huge piece of Xbox news that happened almost a full month ago that I just didn't notice and Kronky had to bring it to my attention. I just still haven't brought this up and embarrassed to, to admit this, but so I guess there is a, a correction. So fuck me. But Warhammer 40k Dark Tide 
highly anticipated Game Pass title coming out this year. Um, in fact, this is one of my most anticipated games of the year, so I really don't understand how the fuck I missed this. But um, supposed to come out in September, the game's been delayed to November. And we will talk about this further because it does show up in Gamescom in the news segment, so we'll, we'll get into all that later. But the game got delayed to November a while back, and I just didn't know this until now. So obviously I have to bring this egregious uh, mistake, this, this correction to y'all's attention in case you like that little southern twang in there, baby. I said y'all. In case, you know, in, in case someone's out there just like, Jesse, how do you call yourself a goddamn Xbox fanboy if you don't even know that Warhammer 40K got delayed to November? And we got some more juice on that that game in particular to get to in the news, so we'll, we'll get into it then. But I, ha- I had to address that that mistake at the at the top. It's just simply inexcusable, you know what I mean? All right, so that's it for corrections. We have an update as well. We got we got the trifecta, corrections, updates, and stories of mild amusement. But for um, our updates, let's talk about Activision, guys, and we won't dwell on it because I don't whatever. But from VGC, here's our latest update on the Activision deal. Saudi Arabia appears to be the first regulatory authority to approve Microsoft's proposed 68.70 billion $68.7 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard is spotted by Twitter sleuth. I never have to say this name out loud, so per, excuse me if I'm butchering it. Clobriel? Clobriel? I don't know. Saudi Arabia's general authority for competition declared on Sunday, this past Sunday, that it has no objection to the proposed games industry buyout. As typical for a, a deal of this size, Microsoft Activision's Blizzard acquisition is currently being investigated by regulatory bodies around the globe, and will dis- and they'll decide if, uh, if it complies with the competition laws, depending on the region or country. So there you go. There's an update. The FTC over here in the United States is expected to provide an answer imminently, so we'll hear about that maybe by the time this, this show goes live i don't know maybe next week hopefully we'll hear something about pretty soon but uh yeah the uk's equivalency of the ftc the cma already set a deadline on september 1st so we're also gonna get their decision relatively soon and we know brazil's been investigating this further that's how we've been getting all these juicy stories regarding playstation versus xbox and the internal console war bullshit um, was from that kind of stuff so stay tuned for updates on that and with with that out of the way, let's get into our stories of mild amusement. And guys, it's such a content or a news dense week that we've got stories of mild amusement that would otherwise make the main news story. That's like it's just that juicy, baby. We got that much to get to. Uh, but for real, Obsidian upcoming game announced during Summer Game Fest: new murder mystery title Pentiment has received a November release date. The Game Pass title, the Xbox Game Studios game. Uh, has been announced for February, or it's not February. I'm looking at the word November and reading February because I'm dyslexic now, starting right now. Uh, But November 15th, 2022, the game will release uh, by Obsidian. It's one of their more like a smaller side team kind of projects as they continue to work on Avowed and Outer Worlds 2 and all these many, many other games they work on. The game will be released for Xbox One as well as Series S and X, Windows 10 and 11, and it will be also available on Steam, not not just through Xbox apps. Uh, priced at a really reasonable $19.99 and will be available day one, of course, through Game Pass on both console and PC. Uh, the game was announced in June, as we just noted. Pentiment is a murder mystery game developed by small t- a small team within uh, Obsidian, led by Fallout New Vegas and Pillars of Eternity director Josh Sawyer, who was also design director on Outer Worlds. So I know a lot of people are really excited about this game. Um, as I, you know, people who've listened to the show long enough famously know, I 
just completely botched this game when when it was announced. Just thought I was like, ah, oh, what what is this bullshit indie crap? <laughs> not even realizing I'm like, oh shit, that's a new game. Not only from Obsidian, an Xbox owned team, but from being headed up by Josh Sawyer, uh, who is you know, I mean, maybe not his name is obscenely well known by gamers, but rather his works are are, are very well known with you know, <laughs> Fallout New Vegas being one of the most beloved. First, uh, first person open world action RPG titles of all time. So obviously, this is a game that I think a decent amount of you know in the know kind of gamers and Xbox fans alike are, are definitely very much uh, looking forward to, especially considering that's coming out in a in a time where not much else is happening. So yeah, not necessarily the uh, big winter or fall release that everyone's hoping for, but it's it's some hey, it's some first party representation coming out in an otherwise pretty dry time. You, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You take what you can get. I think this is. Uh, who knows? Maybe it ends up being one of those like indie critical darlings, you know, indie with air quotes, because obviously there's nothing indie about being a, a big AAA developer backed by Microsoft. But you know what I mean? Smaller game that gets a, a lot of attention and, and uh, ends up being something quite special. Who knows? We'll have to keep our eyes out on this, but it's coming sooner than not. Pentiment. All right. Next up, this is a this would technically be a big story, but I don't I just don't care. Uh, we will nonetheless go through it. Ubisoft. I feel like we talk about them all the time, and it's almost never anything good, but uh, this is good. Ubisoft subscription service Ubisoft Plus may soon launch on Xbox. There are so many subscription services, both in gaming and TV and just everywhere else, that I don't even know what any of these things are. And they all have the same vague bullshit naming convention that I just... Like, Ubisoft Plus, I know we talked about on the show. I know it's a thing that's existed for a while. I just don't know what it is because... You say Ubisoft Plus, and I don't know if it's a fucking accessory for some Apple product or if it's some bullshit Disney's doing to try and get you to watch all their movies that they're stealing money from their parks division to make. I just don't I don't know what it, it is anymore. But Ubisoft Plus may be launching soon on Xbox. A logo for their service was found by Twitter user Alumia Italia, which is usually a pretty reliable leaker on, on Twitter. Usually pretty reliable for Microsoft News in general, including Lumia, or uh, not Lumia. Surface stuff. The service was announced to be coming to Xbox in January, but this could indicate that Ubisoft is getting to launch its currently PC-only service on Xbox soon. Originally launched for PC as Uplay Plus in September 2019. Well, there's why I don't fucking remember. Look at this. Uplay Plus, guys. Now, now titled Ubisoft Plus, offers access to over 100 games in the Ubisoft catalog, including new games, DLC at, at launch. For only 15 bucks a month. For $18 a month, subscribers can access Ubisoft Plus only cloud gaming platform, Stadia, as well as PC. Uh, Stadia, remember Stadia? Quote, we will offer the Ubisoft Plus subscription service to Xbox owners so they can enjoy the full extent of Ubisoft Plus game library, including new releases and other consoles, said Chris Early, Ubisoft Senior VP of Strategic Partnership and Business Development at the time of the announcements. Blah, 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 blah. So we'll hear about this probably sooner rather than later. Uh, if this were going to be happening relatively soon, this would have been a decent announcement for Gamescom. You know, Ubisoft being a fairly uh, European-centric publisher, Gamescom being a fairly European-centric event, but, uh, you know, whatever. G Ubisoft likes to handle their own messaging on their own terms these days, so it doesn't surprise me that we didn't see it there. Plus, they have a big event happening in just a few weeks in September, so if this is happening soon we'll probably hear about there more than anything more likely than anything but um yeah so it's it's important to keep in mind i, I don't want to say this would be a tough sell because i don't think it's necessarily a bad deal um it's just that you think about like game pass <laughs> and all the value including game pass if you own an xbox and you don't have game pass you're a dumbass right 
That that, that kind of rhymes. They should take that. And then that value has been further compounded when when Microsoft struck that deal with EA to get EA Play into Game Pass as well. However, if you now have this Ubisoft equivalent, it, more or less, of like EA EA Play, and it's not included in Game Pass, it's just a separate thing for 15 bucks a month, which is the same price as Game Pass Ultimate. It's not that, I want to be clear about this, it's not that Ubisoft's product is a bad value, it's that when it's only real competition or alternate subscription service on that platform of Xbox is Game Pass. It just looks so weak by comparison, especially because, I mean, this is just really more of like a sticker number. It doesn't mean anything more than, you know, but you could hypothetically be a Game Pass subscriber and only be paying 10 bucks a month because if you're not an Ultimate subscriber, regular Game Pass is only 10 bucks a month. Obviously, you need to have Xbox Live. You might as well just bundle them together for 15 bucks to have Game Pass Ultimate. So it's kind of a moot point anyway, but just the, the simple sticker price or chart numbers could indicate that not only does Game Pass offer far more value than Ubisoft Play or whatever the fuck it's called, Ubisoft Plus, but it's also cheaper in some instances. Uh, although in practicality, we know that's not exactly how that works. It's just it's it's just to make the point that this seems like a tough sell on a platform that's main subscription service is just so incredibly affordable and packs in so much value. I mean, I I subscribed to Xbox Game Pass in in 2017 and i haven't had to pay rent since like that that's the kind of value you get with xbox game pass so i'm not saying again that ubisoft plus is a bad value it's just that you know access to brand new ubisoft games and dlc and things like that that's that's a great deal especially if you're a gamer who finds yourself really gravitating to a lot of what ubisoft puts out there i think that's a great value it's just when you compare that to game pass which is like hey we'll clean your car for you once a month subscribe to game pass it's like shit <laughs> it starts to make Ubisoft Plus look pretty weak. So I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'd be really interested. I mean, I guess we're going to find out because the service is coming to Xbox. It's really more a matter of when. And it looks like it may be sooner rather than later based on what, what we're seeing here in these rumors. But I'm curious to see what that kind of adoption rate could look like on Xbox because on the one hand, you might you might say compared to PlayStation and, and Nintendo gamers, you know, Xbox gamers are pretty conditioned or pretty open-minded to gaming subscription services because of the way Game Pass has kind of reconditioned the Xbox market. You know, PlayStation has their service. Nintendo has their service with like old NES games and stuff like that. And, and they offer decent value and decent, decent products. But they don't have anything that's like what Game Pass is. So I like if you have an Xbox and you don't have Game Pass, you're an idiot. If you have a PlayStation or a Nintendo and you don't have their subscription service that offers this or that, you know, all the the various things they have, you're, you're not necessarily an idiot. There's a way to be on those platforms and have different needs that those services don't meet. And so I, you you wonder if maybe maybe this is a good move because Xbox is the console platform where its market is most open-minded to, most conditioned to, you know, be friendly towards subscription services like this. Or if maybe it's the most off-putting market to put your service on because people are so indoctrinated and so happy with what they get from Game Pass that they don't, you know, it's, we're good. We don't really need anything else. If it's anything like how people treat their TV subscription services, I would say maybe lean a little more towards this is a good thing because as we know, you know, God, it's like people, we're, we're right back. It's as everyone says now, right? We're right back to where we were with cable television at this point. Any new subscription service comes out, everyone just subscribes to it. Yes, like any given person, like, yeah, I got 
Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, whatever the HBO Max. I got Apple TV. I got the one with the peacock. I got the one with the bird. I got the one with the rainbow on it. I got all of them. I got you name it. I got all the subscription services. I don't know what shows on which you know which service. They're always flipping networks and all this shit. And you know, it's like it's it's just a whole mess of garbage bullshit. So. Honestly, maybe this is the beginning of that same story for gaming, where people might be like, "Yo, name it, boy. I got on my Xbox. I got I got Game Pass Ultimate. I got Ubisoft Plus. I've got EA Play. I've we got I got Devolver. I got Devolver Digimon. I got fucking what other publishers are left that aren't owned by like fucking Tencent or Microsoft at this point? You got Square Enix something or other comes with free subscription too. Anime titties and. A ten plus level up in Final Fantasy. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Like what? What else is there at this point? But anyway, yeah. I mean, that, that's a whole lot of speculation about things that we'll just have to see as as we get closer to that date. But my expectation is, if we are, you know, if these rumors are to be correct, and, and we're getting pretty close to seeing this service launch on Xbox, look to September. That's when Ubisoft has their um their big digital event, and that's I think when we would hear of something like this. So pin in that. Now here's another story that would have been a pretty notable news story had it not been for Gamescom and all the other big stories we had this week. But after, you know, last week's speculation and rumors and confirmation basically Xbox was teasing it on Twitter. Um, Death Stranding will be joining Xbox Game Pass for PC starting uh, well, now that you're listening to it now, it's available now. It was available as of Tuesday. So yeah, following a series of recent teases on Friday uh, last Friday, Death Stranding um, PC publisher 505 Games confirmed to be bringing the game to Microsoft subscription service. 505 said it will be available on August 23rd, which is Tuesday. This past Tuesday, it's available. You might have already played it by now. So they, they said um, Windows 10 and PC gamers, Windows 10 slash 11 PC gamers can expect features like ultra wide mode, photo mode, high frame rate, cross over content from some very well uh, known franchises, said 505 Global Community Director Antonella Pounder. Sony published Death Stranding, of course, back on the PlayStation 4 in November 2019. Uh, it was not technically a first-party exclusive. It was a second-party game, um, but they only helped fund and publish it for PlayStation. Uh, and then in 2020, 505 published a PC version of the title. The director's cut hit PlayStation 5 later this past year and was released for PC as well in 2022. Uh, actor Norman Reedus, who played protagonist Sam Porter Bridges in Death Stranding, seemingly confirmed a sequels in development as well in an interview a couple months back. Death Stranding director Hideo Kojima confirmed in June that he's working on a cloud-based project with Xbox, which we know nothing about. It's probably very, very, very early days for that project, so we will have to wait quite a while to get any substantive news on it. But uh, this, is, this is a fun one because it's like... Technically, there's no reason why this game can't be on Xbox Game Pass. It's not really all that weird, you know. It's on Game Pass PC because it was published by a non, you know, a, a publisher, Five Hundred Five Games, who is non-party affiliated. Um, and so there's just, you know, this is just business as usual. Microsoft goes out, gets with developers and publishers, and works out deals to get new titles on Game Pass. Nothing weird about that. But obviously, Death Stranding has such a strong alignment and association with PlayStation, being that, of course. Hideo Kojima's previous series, the Metal Gear Solid franchise, and until later in its life, was very heavily associated as a PlayStation series. Um, and then when when he left Konami and went on to form his own P Kojima Productions, he, he started immediately working with PlayStation, and, and Death Stranding was their first project, and it was partially funded and exclusively published by PlayStation 4 PlayStation um, at the time. So... Just the fact that this game is coming to Xbox, although it isn't technically a PlayStation exclusive, feels like 
we're getting a PlayStation exclusive. Although I should clarify, this is not on Xbox. Now, here's the interesting part. Is it possible that that this game could somehow come to Xbox in some way, shape, or form? Obviously, it was published on PlayStation by Sony, so in that realm, no, there's no chance. But is there any clause or just, you know, anything in, in the paperwork barring this game from being published or ported over to other platforms? My guess is yes. You know, we as we've been learning from the, these Brazilian um, regulatory board leaks and information, Sony does puts, put these kinds of stipulations and, and, and stances and in, in clauses in their paperwork. And so it's possible, you know, that part of the deal with Kojima Productions is this game can never be moved to, brought over to whatever, another home console platform. It didn't bar PC, likely, which is why 505 was able to pick up the game, publish it for PC. But I would find it very unlikely that there's any chance in hell Sony allowed for there to be any possibility for this game to ever come to Xbox. So that's why we're just seeing it on PC Game Pass, not console Game Pass. However, anything's possible. We, we don't know that for a fact. That's purely my speculation. But I do just want to make that clear delineation that this is only on PC for now. Um, still, it, it is another one of those, like, like we said last week, MLB The Show kind of moments where it, it just feels like, you know, if you're not super in tune, if you're just moderately into this kind of stuff, th- this is something that could easily be looked at as like, wait, isn't that, isn't that a PlayStation game? And now it's on that Xbox service. Like, kind of looks weird. It's not a good optical look for PlayStation. It's another one of those uh, optical wins for Xbox. So really, really weird one. But we're getting more and more, I think, acclimated to this world where nothing makes sense anymore, where, you know, fucking crest toothpaste will just jump in and be like yeah we own a 30 percent stake in in fucking annapurna interactive now because why, why not you know be sure to freshen your breath with our new toothpaste fuck you next up vgc reports studio onoma appears likely to be a new western studio from japanese final fantasy publisher square enix the studio is the subject of a pending application that appeared on a Canadian trademark database last week. According to the application, Studio Onoma is, will primarily design, develop, and publish computer and video game software. It may also produce various goods, including strategy guides, toys, games, and play uh, and playthings, quote-unquote playthings, namely action figures and handheld battery-operated games. Uh, the trademark applicates, ap- sorry, the trademark applicant is listed as Square Enix Nuco Limited, a recently established company based in London, UK. According to Company's House, a Square Enix Nuco was incorporated in April of 2022. The nature of the business is listed under publishing of computer games. And Sweden, Swedish company, of course, as we all know, recently, Swedish company Embracer announced back in May that they'd agreed to acquire a large part of Square Enix's Western development arm for $300 million, including Tomb Raider developer Crystal Dynamics, also working on working with uh, the initiative on Perfect Dark. Idos Montreal, who actually made the most recent Tomb Raider game and most recently the new Guardians of the Galaxy game, uh, Square, and Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IP including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, blah, 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 blah. So this makes no sense to me because... I mean, there are a lot. There are a lot of um, there are a lot of a lot of speculation uh, and, and rumors and theories that were that Square Enix had been shedding their Western um, developers in an attempt to make themselves more more affordable and more attractive and more um, what's the word focused, if you want to say that, so that it would be a more attractive buy for other publishers or you know big companies maybe looking to acquire. That, that, that the rumor was Square Enix might be looking to sell. And that that is a big running theory in, spe- in series of speculation in the industry right now, particularly in relation to uh, Sony 
that's been a, a big rumor is that maybe Sony is looking to buy Square Enix. And they said, we don't we don't need these guys. We already have Naughty Dog. They make Uncharted. We don't need this developer. You know, we don't need any of that. We need we need the authentically Japanese shit that Square Enix is so known for because that's the stuff PlayStation doesn't have. And that potentially Square Enix was shedding the extra stuff they, did, they didn't need to make themselves more attractive to PlayStation. Now, we obviously, we don't know the, the validity of that. It's just a, been an ongoing rumor that maybe Sony is interested in buying Square Enix. This information would seem to fly in the face of that because while we knew that Square Enix was still like, yeah, we'll publish, you know, we'll continue to publish like Life is Strange games, which is, of course, Don't Nod, a French developer. We'll continue to publish Polish-developed, um, People Can Fly-developed um, Outriders and things like that. No one, that that kind of made sense because they're just continuing on with this thing they're already tied to. But no one expected them to then go ahead and pick up more more Western talent. So for them to be building a studio in the UK kind of flies in the face of this long-going, widely believed speculation that they are trying to position themselves and trim themselves down to be more attractive to pursuers, you know? So I, I, I've had my head so far up that the ass of that of that speculation that I can't even begin to like make sense of this. Now, the trademark applicant does say thing that uh, that this team, Studio Anoma, would be there to help with the development and production of guides, toys, games, and playthings, action figures, and handheld battery-operated games. So it is possible that they have some Western team that's not necessarily in charge of making video games per se, but it's some some company owned and operated by them that assists in like working with various companies over merchandise and, and, and consumer products based on their video game licenses and properties. That's the only other thing I can think of based on what we're seeing here, but then that just that's just such a weird it's such a weird thing to have, you know, if you're trying to trim yourself down and make yourself a more lean package, why would you bloat your company by establishing a division that handles something like that when there are so many there are so many pre-existing companies you could outsource that type of work to so i just this one actually really puzzles me and i don't know what to make of it to be quite honest but obviously we'll continue to track this i guess the other thing is if this is simply just a new game developer set to make more western games that will be owned and published by square enix then that 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 brings begs the question well, what the hell was going on with all those other Western developers that Square Enix was so eager to get rid of them? You know, obviously we know of some recent uh, commercial duds between Marvel's Avengers and and, um, and and Guardians of the Galaxy and things like that. So maybe they're just, you know, maybe they're like, we don't think these teams are redeemable or fixable. But I just, it seems kind of f- flippant and irresponsible with your capital to be, just be like, yeah, we'll, we'll sell these guys because they had a bad outing and then we'll just establish a new team you know over here in the uk because we think this will be a better a better opportunity to get our footing in the western market it just it just seems a little i don't know like like a poor use of of your capital and and like a little bit of a i don't know just a negligent spending which is just not something we're used to seeing from japanese developers japanese studios developers publishers traditionally like typically if you if you just pay attention to kind of how these companies normally operate are very usually very intentful with every kind of thing they do with their decision-making. Like you, you look at these, these, these publishers, usually it's, they, they rely on very pre-established partners they've worked with in the past. They, they generally risk take with, with companies they already have 
pre-established relationships with and things like that. They're not just buying studios, selling studios, forming studios in just all parts of the world. That's I don't know. This just sounds. If anything, that sounds more like something Microsoft or Tencent would do, to be honest. But um, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to make of what we're seeing here. So, I personally am eager to uh, get the get the next bit of news on on what the hell is going on with this um, Studio Onoma. Also, weird, interesting, interesting Japanese name for a UK team. But guys, we have so much news to get into. We should probably, uh, we should actually probably just move into Gamescom itself. So we'll get away from the stories of mild amusement, corrections, updates, things of that regard, and um, y- you know how it works. We can't we can't just full stop. Just even if it is a big news week, I gotta gotta stop and tell you what I've been playing, what I've been eating. So we'll get into the news in in less than five minutes. I promise you. But first, let me tell you what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I gotta tell you about what I've been eating. So my girlfriend and I just got back from a little two night staycation um, at Disney. It's the first time we've been able to do anything like that since before the Black Plague. So it's kind of nice. Kind of did it like we used to back before we lived here in Florida, back uh, when we were in Georgia. We'd have to, you know, pick up extra shifts at our jobs and save up money and plan for months to try and do like a two or three night little stay at Disney, stay at one of their cheaper family friendly, whatever hotels. I don't know what a non-family friendly hotel at Disney looks like, but uh, anyway, so we, we, we did that. It was, it was just nice to kind of pretend like we didn't live here for the first time in a long time and just, and just uh, enjoy that. But the reason I'm bringing this out guys is because for the first time since it opened last year, I got the opportunity while we were staying at Disney to eat at what is my favorite restaurant, at least currently my favorite restaurant. I don't think it's my favorite restaurant all time. It's just my favorite restaurant currently. Located at the Walt Disney World Contemporary Resort on the bottom floor in place of where the old The Wave restaurant, Wave of American Flavors restaurant used to stand, rest in peace. And before that, of course, the Contemporary Arcade back in the day, rest in peace as well. Uh, they moved the arcade. Don't get, don't worry, gamers. The, the arcade games are still there. They're just in a different place. Anyway, last year they opened a new restaurant in that space called Steakhouse 71. It's an homage to the opening day of Walt Disney World. But more importantly, it is a, by Disney standards, affordable steakhouse. And it is so good. And so we went there for the first time since it opened last year. And God damn it, I love this place so fucking much. They have this appetizer, which I got to tell you about because I don't give a shit where you come from. I know we can all come together and agree this is just God's work being done. They have this appetizer they call bacon and eggs. And you might be thinking, Jess, you're at a steakhouse. Why are you eating breakfast food? Shut the fuck up and let me explain this to you, okay? Bacon and eggs is not scrambled eggs with a side of bacon. It is a thick-ass motherfucking four ounce thick cut of pork belly like I'm, I'm talking like like inch thick inch and a half thick pork belly with just a fucking equally thick layer of fat above it. it's just so goddamn delicious and it's smoked and cured and all the shit and this maple lacquer bar like glaze and then they serve it on a plate with this little um aged gouda cheddar grits it's like a cheese blend whatever grits with like this perfectly poached egg on top and then like some greens for like decoration and shit and a little sauce whatever but it is uh without a doubt the greatest thing in the entire world this dish is so goddamn delicious and it is just it's like that it's the pork is so tender you could just stare at it and it will fall apart you don't even have to use a knife you don't even have to use a fork you don't even have to use a finger you just look right at it and it just just melts in your mouth and then you mix it in with that cheesy that cheesy creamy grits and that creamy delicious egg yolk and it's you fucking want to die it's the greatest thing in the world so we went to steakhouse 71 shout out to steakhouse 71 i had a gift card so we got to we got to use it and eat there also shout out to just that restaurant in general it's fucking awesome dude not just the pork and bacon and eggs rather appetizer but steak's awesome there the 10 layer chocolate cake awesome guys listen 
You might be thinking to yourself, Jesse, I'm not a kid. I don't need to go to Disney World. You might be thinking to yourself, if applicable, I don't have kids. I'm not going to Disney World. I'm old. I want to do adult things like go drink alcohol or go to Las Vegas and drink alcohol or go to New York and try bars and drink alcohol or go to Europe and see the Eiffel Tower and drink alcohol. That's great. You do that. Be an adult. But listen, man. Fuck the theme parks, fuck them roller coasters, fuck them kids. I'm saying you go to Walt Disney World, you stay at the Contemporary Resort or somewhere near property, I don't give a shit, and you eat at Steakhouse 71. Not because you like Mickey Mouse, not because you like Disney movies, none of that shit matters. You're there because there's good food to be had, and if you want good food inside of you, you're gonna go here to get it, okay? That's all I'm saying to you. You wanna talk about Gamescom? We'll talk about Gamescom, but first, you gotta be well-fed. You wanna be well-fed, you gotta go to Steakhouse 71. So I'm just telling you what you gotta do play the game right and get where you need to be okay good gee i wonder why xbox on listenership is dropping off anyway that's it for what i've been eating let's talk about what i've been playing guys actually i'm playing games i, I really wanted to play this tiny king it's coming to game pass this upcoming game indie game it looks so fucking good it looks like 3d platformer with a 2D characters and a crazy Pikmin environment. I need to get to this game. I really want to play this. It's like Chibi Robo fucked Pikmin, fucked some 3D platform, and I, I, I need to play this game. But I got that downloaded. I'm really excited to get to that this weekend. But I have been playing a couple of games. We'll talk about games I've actually been playing. Destiny 2 Witch Queen. I finally fucking played this thing. My brother and my nephew were like, what's a game we can finally all play together? Because they just like to play Fortnite and fucking Hunt Showdown and all these weebs nerd games for people with smelly armpits. And I said, guys, I only play serious video games like Sonic 06. Don't you understand this, you tiny brain in incels? And so we finally agreed to play Destiny 2. Um, which is funny because my brother hates Destiny. But anyway, we finally played Destiny 2, The Witch Queen. I've been trying to get to this thing forever. Uh, it was a way for us to bond as family, I guess, if you want to put it that way. But um, I'm, I'm shocked. I had really high expectations for this campaign based on what I had heard about just how special it was. I gotta be honest, I love Destiny so much. I think Destiny's such a great game. And I pretty much have enjoyed every every expansion they've ever put out, some more than others for sure. But I, I found this expansion to be pretty damn good, but not like mind-blowing, you know, relative to anything else they've done before. I don't know. I, everyone made it seem like, oh, remember how revolutionary um, the Taken King was for Destiny 1 back in 2015? This is what Witch Queen does for Destiny 2. I'm like, okay, I'm fucking ready. And then I played it. I'm like, yeah, it was a really good, yeah, it was a really good expansion, man. <laughs> I don't know what to say, you know? Like, so was Forsaken, you know, so was Beyond Light. I don't I don't know what to say. Like, I enjoyed it. I wonder, because normally I, I know you're not supposed to play Destiny this way, but I almost always play Destiny alone by myself, and so I can get pretty immersed in the in the, in the world building and the, in the storytelling. I wonder if just because the nature of how I play this, you know, with it being a three-player fire team and it's just, just shit-talking and goofing around, um, and much less me, like, being tuned into what was happening, I wonder if that maybe had everything to do with why I wasn't, like, just captivated by this, but... I had a great time. I'm, I'm glad I bought and played this expansion. I'm always excited for more Destiny 2. Spoiler alert, we will get to more Destiny 2 in the news. But yeah, I mean, I just w the Witch Queen to me, I was like, this is another really fun expansion. I can't wait for the next one. But like nothing, nothing lasting that stuck with me. I, I will say I always appreciate when there are pre-rendered cinematics in Destiny. I don't think we get enough of them. I enjoy the ones in this game. Destiny continues to be what I believe one of the ultimate, most visually striking games from an art direction standpoint. Um, and this except this this expansion is no exception. But yeah, I mean, I just I really just don't have anything to say on this expansion other than that. Yeah, it, it was fun. I had a good time. <laughs> the other game I've been playing this week, guys, I'm trying to pick on, you know, I'm trying to take out some of my backlog since we got this blessing of a slow 
video games release cycle happening right now. Um, I really want to get to Plague Tale Innocence. I was supposed to get to that. And so what did I do? I started Yakuza 3 because I played Yakuza 0, 1, and 2. And I got to get through all six main entries if I ever want to get to playing Like a Dragon. So I'm playing Yakuza 3 and I'm only about like four four hours into it, I'd say. But damn, dude, Yakuza 3, I mean, you guys know I, I fucking love Yakuza. This, this series is so special. Yakuza 3 is so incredibly adorable <laughs> and wholesome. I mean, I'm not in, you know, I'm not far enough into it for everything to have truly unfolded and to be into all the uh, drama yet. But here's the thing is like, first of all, obviously you should never start a game like Yakuza, a story-driven game like Yakuza in the middle, like on, on number three. Thankfully, I started with Yakuza 0, which I still believe is the best Yakuza game. Perfect place to start. And that, that game just captivated me within the first 30 minutes. I just, I, 30 minutes into Yakuza 0, and I never looked back. I, I adore this franchise. But Yakuza 3 is a slow fucking burn. For those of you who played it, I know you know what I'm talking about. It is a slow, slow burn. It starts, it takes place in Okinawa, so like it's, you know, like you're, it's so cute, because like here is like this fucking badass Yakuza, like don't mess with me motherfucker kind of guy, is like trying to get out of the crime life, and and he's 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 running this orphanage, and he's just basically fathering and fostering these nine children. And it's so cute because I'm like four hours into the game, I'm like, okay, I get it. They're just trying to set the stage for like where Kiru, the main character, is at this point in his life, and the events will unfold. And I know we're getting there, but it's just so funny to me that like we're four hours in, and still the game is like, oh well, one one of the kids got picked on at school by a bully. You need to go talk to him and cheer him up and and tell him you know encourage him. And it's like, oh, this person. Uh, one, one of the kids over here, you know, uh, said that someone at school told him that his, you know, no one loved him because he he's an orphan and he had to go have like a, a fatherly heart to heart with this kid and shit. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm so used to the previous Yakuza games where it's like after the first hour, you're like into the narrative, you, you're into all the drama, shit's hitting the fan, you're punching motherfuckers in the face, you're grabbing trash cans and just smashing them on people's heads. But I am four hours into this game and I am just sitting here on the beach with with these orphan children telling them that like they matter and just encouraging them and chopping onions and making curry in the kitchen for them to feed them dinner and all this stuff and it's just so funny because all along you're still the same spiked hair built up muscular tatted up yakuza crazy ass motherfucker you've been in all the other games and i'm just like this continue yakuza continues to just be so zany so wacky so campy so humorous yet so captivating and like gripping and you're so invested in these characters and there's no series that does it like this i just i don't know what to say like i Maybe I just don't experience enough diversity in storytelling, but I've never seen a movie, a book, a video game, anything even remotely like Yakuza, and it just continues to delight and surprise and just entertain me in the weirdest ways. And I fucking love this game. I'm, I, I know we'll get to the point where there's, you know, there's juice between all these uh, various Yakuza factions, and we'll start fighting and brawling soon. But for now, I'm basically some glorified um, caretaker of these orphan children, and you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. So that's that's Yakuza Three. It's a great time but guys that's it for what i've been playing that's it for what i've been eating let's get back to the serious news we got gamescom news and plenty of it to get through as well as some other news so pause here get into the main news segment and then we will break for bread all right so let's get started with gamescom i don't know how else to get into this so opening night live took place on tuesday afternoon here at least in america and yeah live from cologne germany for the first time in a couple years jeff Keeley put on his uh his big e3 type event to kick off gamescom i guess we're kind of in a steady this steady cycle now where the three big events of the year 
are headed up by Jeff Keighley, and there's one in the summer around E3 time, that's Summer Game Fest, and then there's one for Gamescom around August, and that's opening night live, and then there's the big one that started it all, and that's in December, the Game Awards, and that's more of an awards ceremony slash uh, game announcement thing, but... The other two are more focused on just announcements. I don't know why I'm prefacing with all this. I just think it's it's kind of crazy that, like, this is where we are. It's like Gamescom used to be covered a lot less extensively, and it was, you know, sometimes you'd have, like, Microsoft do an E3-style press conference, kind of, here or there. And then, of course, you know, the, the summer months were always dominated by E3, and everyone used to participate in E3, all the big publishers and whatnot. And now it's just everyone does their own thing, or there's the Summer Game Fest, and then the, the Game Awards in December has only grown and grown and grown to be a bigger and bigger and more important show, where more and more publishers and developers want to reveal and announce big projects. I mean, famously for Xbox, you know, relevant to this podcast and our and our, our sphere, the Xbox Series X was announced and revealed at the Game Awards in 2019. So, it, it, this this uh Jeff Keighley, it's in, it's insane how he has actually done just such a great job for himself of propping his platform and his showcases, his showings um, up as like the premier most important series of gaming related events to happen annually, really. It's 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 more, I think it's like cumulatively more important, I guess, if you want to put it that way, than any of the showcases Xbox does or PlayStation does or Nintendo, or at least on an individual level, of course. So here we are, Gamescom. We're just not used to seeing this level of like big revealing, um, sorry, this level of just big news, headliner news with the whole world's eyes glued to the screen um, as, as, as we're getting here. But I guess that's a little snippet to say um, a little bit of a tease as to what we got because there was a lot of news here and following this year's summer game fest e3 kind of replacement supplemental whatever show I, I found that show to be incredibly disappointing you know as i teased and joked at the top of the show they went on for like five fucking minutes with some ad read from Dwayne Johnson just going on and on about, be sure to watch my new movie, Black Adam, which none of you have ever fucking heard of, but apparently it's a DC superhero that we all, we're all going to pretend to be excited about now because that's what we do. We just hear about some obscure Marvel character that we never knew about, and now all of a sudden we're experts on him. But it's like we're just sitting there for five minutes listening to Dwayne Johnson show us up while he sits in the gym and he's just like, yeah, my new fucking movie, man. Dwayne Johnson loves Xbox. Dwayne Johnson loves video games, man. I'm such an OG, man. Be sure, be sure to watch my new fucking movie, man. It's on Hulu Plus or whatever. And it's like, what, what is going on? But thankfully, that's not even remotely close to what Opening Night Live was. Now, of course, we had some sponsored content, some various miscellaneous things. We saw some astronaut flipping around a couple times. So some, some silly shit like that, but nothing that ever lasted more than like 30 seconds, thankfully. And more important than anything, games were here, dude. We had game reveals. We had updates on games that are releasing imminently, not games that are releasing in 10 years. We had gameplay. We had... New studios, new games, new information, new IP, just lots of exciting shit. My only real gripe with this show, well, I guess twofold. One, as always with these Jeff Keighley events, I think the runtime is just a bit too long. It went on for about two and a half hours. They, I really wish they could have gotten this down to more of like a 90-minute presentation. But I mean that, and that's a criticism I generally levy at these kinds of events, but I mean that with less, with less um, criticism than I normally do just because... They managed to really pack the two and a half hours. It was mostly pretty noteworthy content. It wasn't 
a whole lot of fluff. So even though it was long, it was pretty entertaining from start to finish, which is, you know, that's hard to do. So big props to them in that regard. And then, of course, my other, my only other complaint, and this is a complaint I've had since last uh, last year at the Game Awards when they started this, a little too much sponsorship and just um, flashing of this logo and this brand without really denoting who the fuck this is. This is the Level Infinite logo we've been seeing a lot over the past year. Uh, for those who do not know, Level Infinite is a new publishing gaming-related brand name that Tencent has come up with to try and distance their association with gaming because they know that they are an undesirable, questionable CD company. And so, they, yeah, they come up with this cool name, Level Infinite, uh, which just sounds like Level 5 Games, and I always feel bad for them because I know they're not related to, to Tencent. But, um, yeah, Level Infinite is this, is this name, and they, they were all over the Game Awards last year with sponsorships and promotions and shit, and they were all over it this year as well for for opening night live for Gamescom. And, um, of course, like no one ever acknowledges who they are, why they're there. They're just injecting money into the show, flashing their logo all over the fucking place, and, and no one questions why. But aside from that, you know, when we're just talking straight purely down to the content that the game's announced and shown... I think we had an all things considered pretty damn good show here. So with that all out of the way, I'm excited to get into it with you guys. We'll talk basically just in the in the order in which things were shown, uh, as we tend to do with these events. And of course, I've cut out the games that aren't relevant to our interests here, things that are only on PC or things that are happening for Nintendo Switch or whatever. But yeah, m most of what was shown is coming to Xbox, and that's another great thing. And we have actually a lot of Game Pass titles as well. But without further ado, guys, the first thing they showed was everywhere the game is called everywhere now apparently this game was already announced um can't i can't find anything on it i guess i'm just bad at researching but apparently this game has already been announced in some form or fashion but it is a uh, a brand new game from a brand new studio the team is called build a rocket boy studio and it's a silly looking name but these guys are important these are or this is a team of a lot of high former talent from rockstar guys who created and still to this day make Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption. Uh, in fact, this project in particular is being led by um, Leslie Benzi, who is like the original like creator, basically <laughs> the guy, like the lead designer, director, or or whatever of of Grand Theft Auto. So this is a massive name assigned to this game. And you know what? I I still, after reading about it and rewatching the teaser and everything that was there at the event. I'm still pretty fuzzy on what the fuck this game is supposed to be. It seems like it is a in intentionally vague at this point, highly aspirational open world game where they're touting multiple narratives, seamless co-op, online co-op, uh, just a very, a very, we are building a new type of open world game that will kind of redefine the genre. And it's hard to explain what that is. We just got to, you just got to wait till we have the ability to show it or better yet until you can play it. It's kind of the, the feeling I'm getting from what they're talking about. And they just showed like these random snippets, people like driving these freaking like doom buggies in this like post-apocalyptic world and a volcano erupting. And then it's like a city and then it's like a field and just all these random ass places. But without being able to really explain anything in detail, we've got the core talent from Rockstar, the guys behind Grand Theft Auto, making a new what they are describing as a groundbreaking open world multiple narrative driven seamless co-op open world title and they're saying it's expected to release in 2023 now of course as we know guys make sure you've been properly conditioned if a game developer tells you a game's coming in 2023 that means it's probably coming in like 2025 or so maybe late 2024 at the earliest so 
We know it's not actually coming in 2023, but that's what they're saying right now. Hopefully that means we'll at least see gameplay or, or a closer look at the game in 2023, of course. But um, even though there was no gameplay shown, we have the most vague concept of what the fuck this project actually is. I, I think we kind of have no choice but to pay close attention to this. Like this, this, this project, just by sheer fact of who is leading the project, just by sheer fact of the core team that is founding this new studio built a rocket boy, they they immediately command and deserve, I think, maybe not deserve, but have immediately commanded our attention just because these are the guys behind Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto, some of the greatest games of all time. Certainly one of the most, Grand Theft Auto, certainly one of the most influential games of all time. I'd say top five most influential games without a doubt. And then if we're going to talk about Red Dead Redemption, I would say top five greatest narratives ever told in a video game. Now, we don't know if the Hauser brothers are going to be involved in this project at all because they are no longer at Rockstar. And it doesn't say whether or not the Hauser brothers are involved in this. And they are, of course, the writers um, of the Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead games. If you get those guys working on this project, dude, I mean, at that point, I'm basically just like, I don't give a shit about GTA 6. I'm more interested in whatever this is. Um, now, I will say nothing about this tonal CG trailer they showed grabbed my attention or got me. The only reason I give a shit about this at all is because of the people assigned to it. But there are so few names and so few um, developers within the industry that I, I that I would say, like, you put this person or this team in charge of literally any project and I and I will and I will be there. I will. I will. What is it? You know? This is one of the few examples of like you put these guys in charge of a new project. You you remove them from Take Two, you remove them from Rockstar, you remove them from Grand Theft Auto, and you put them in a new situation. You're like make a new thing. I mean, I I I'm so curious more than anything. Not even I'm not even necessarily saying oh I'm so pumped to play everywhere. I don't know what the fuck everywhere even is, but I am pumped to know what the fuck this game is and to see what these guys have cooking next. When you have that level of like creative genius now being able to flex their muscles and do something entirely new you know you can't help but just be tickled with curiosity like what the fuck are we getting from these guys and that and that's where i am with this project so does the game look particularly interesting i don't know we didn't really see anything worth a damn so i can't i can't say do we know enough about the game to know if it's like something i'm i might be interested in no but i'm really curious about who's working on it i was i, I was surprised to see that what they were showing had a very like somewhat like cartoony aesthetic and, and art style which is kind of weird because i don't know i just assume anything they're going to do is very like gritty and very grounded and very realistic for some reason but um nonetheless man this is a game we have almost nothing to go off of nothing to say but is going to no doubt be something definitely worth keeping an eye out on because uh yeah, i mean just just imagine imagine if they're able to get the right people involved and the right funding and time and everything to put together something that surpasses Grand Theft Auto. You know, I don't know if you can surpass that brand name and that cachet that Grand Theft Auto has, but you might be able to make something that's technically better, you know, like Titanfall in 2014. You know, what Call of Duty came out in 2014? Uh, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare? Yeah, Titanfall in 2014 was 2.9 trillion times a better game than Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. Of course, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare clobbered Titanfall in terms of sales and engagement and all that because you can't really compete with the Call of Duty brand name, but that doesn't take away the fact that Titanfall was a far more compelling and great and interesting game, and that's kind of what I'm talking about here is like, I don't know, is this like the beginning of Grand Theft Auto's Titanfall? <laughs> like, we're going to see 
we're going to see the the guys behind the magic of Grand Theft Auto go and do something else that might be in a similar vein, but only newer and more imaginative and better. I don't know. But uh, that's everywhere. Uh, nothing else to say because there's really nothing to say other than just, hey, look who's working on it. But uh, that was, I, I think, a pretty noteworthy opener. Uh, next up, we got uh, the announcement of Dune Awakening. So Dune, a sci-fi book series that last year got made into a pretty successful movie. And now it's one of those things where all of a sudden everyone you talk to is suddenly an expert on Dune. And they're just like, oh, yeah, I love Dune. I read all the books. I watched all the movies. I jerked off to all the, the, the attractive actors in the movie. It's like, okay, okay, man. I asked you any time before fucking fall of 2021 what the fuck Dune is. And you'll be like, I think that's the thing you're supposed to go ride a, a, a you know, ride your dude buggy over the sand dunes, right? I don't know. But anyway, not to take away the fun of it. They're making a Dune game. I know people are really high on this franchise right now. I actually really want to watch that movie that came out last year. I still haven't seen it, but I mean, people are very high on this franchise right now. So this is a good time to capitalize on that, making a game in that universe. So it's a, uh, here's the thing though. It is an open-world survival MMORPG from the folks, from the guys at Funcom who made Conan Exiles, and it's published by Legendary Entertainment. So not necessarily the most, like, confident um, genre to be exploring this world in or developer to be assigning to the project or even publisher to be funding it. Uh, I'm not saying that this is a bad idea. I mean, pretty much any sci-fi world is probably ripe for, like, an MMO-style game. But, like, man, if you really want to get the people riled up about, like, we're making a Dune game, you know, you, you want to make, uh, like, a single player or maybe, you know, a, a more narrative-driven singular experience. It can be an open-world game, no doubt. You know, maybe something like a Fallout and something less like a, um, I don't know, something less like an Elder Scrolls Online. But they announced that. I This is one of those things where it's, like, it's noteworthy, of course, because of the IP they're working with, but... I can't say that I'm excited for that. If you if if you wanted to grab me with this, you would have had to, you would have had to say anything other than survival and MMO. You know, you could have literally said anything else. You could have said this is a, a fucking first person simulator. You, you could have said this is a third person puzzle game. This is a, fucking, um, this is a isometric, twin stick game. Like you could have said so many things other than survival MMO. But you had to, you had to say that, didn't you? As long as it's not a card game, though, you know, at least it's got that going for him. Um, although I think there is a card game or something like that coming out. There's another Dune game called Spice Wars. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's a mobile game or what. Anyway, the Callisto Protocol was next. We saw another gameplay trailer for this. I have nothing more to say about this game. We've seen it a lot recently. Um, I think we've seen it a lot recently because it is, like, the only game, aside from, like, um, Arkham Knights and Modern Warfare 2 that is coming out this fall and is, like, guaranteed to... or seems guaranteed to hit its release date and looks pretty complete and ready to go. And, you know, it looks promising. So, I think this game looks great. Again, I've never played Dead Dead Space. Um, it's, it's a game that has just forever been sitting in my backlog. And I, I would feel kind of like a hack if I, if I just jumped into this without ever having played a Dead Space game. Yet, at the same time, I feel like this is a great way for me to get involved with like the dead space universe or better yet, like that kind of, that kind of action horror game because I, I never played one before. And this is new and flashy and coming out at a good time. December 2nd, really good release date, really good time period for it to come out. Still looks really, really good. Um, I, I have just had nothing else to say about it because we, we've seen it so much. Next up, 
This one confused me for a bit. They announced the Lord, the Lords of the Fallen. And at first I was like, isn't that already a game? Isn't Lords of the Fallen already a game? So here, here's here's the thing. Um, CI Games, which is the original developer of Lords of, Fall, of the Fallen, and new team Hexworks are working on a fantasy fiction adventure game called The Lords of the Fallen, which is a sequel. Is a sequel to the game Lords of the Fallen. So for the sequel, they just added the in front of Lords, and uh, they're like, hell yeah. So immediately docked 10 points off this game's Metacritic score for doing that. That's that's obnoxious. Um, but yeah, the uh, game is um, it's an expansive single-player RPG experience, blah, 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 online co-op, whatever. I, I don't know. When, when the first one came out, I think I think it was like around 2014, like early Xbox One days. I feel like this is a title where I always saw the box art of this game. I always saw it on sale. I always saw it like recommended in the Xbox store, but I never downloaded it. I never played it. I never looked into it. It just never caught my attention. It just looks like a very like, I don't know, like knights and, you know, knights and dungeons and old medieval time warrior bullshit swords and riding on the back of horses kind of like, yeah, you know, kind of game to me. So it never, never got my attention. Um, but Nonetheless, I, th- I think this is a game that has, I think this is a, an IP that has garnered a good enough amount of attention, because I just I just feel like it's one of those games that's like I've never paid attention to it, but it's always kind of persisted in the background during all this time. So I, I think at least anecdotally that this is a a game that people care about. But I, I I watched I watched the trailer twice and I just could not be moved to give a single fuck about it. Um, but this is about the end of where we uh, where we before we start getting into some really juicy shit. So I don't know they're, they're making a sequel to Lords of the Fallen. It's been quite a while since we the first one came out, so we'll see what they got going on with that. But really, they haven't said anything. There wasn't extensive gameplay shown. Um, all we know is that's in development for Xbox um, and for PC. So we'll have to wait to see more. Uh, oh, and one last thing before we get one last game before I get into like the juicier stuff. Moving out too. There's not much to say about this. Uh, moving out. It's one of those like party little fun games developed by team 17 the game moving out 2, which takes place in the madness of moving out will come to consoles and pc um in 2023 it's a fun like party co-op mayhem game kind of like um overcooked yeah it's kind of like that it's like it's like overcooked but for moving instead of cooking i don't know it looks fun i'm sure it's a i'm sure it's a fine fun little party game with friends but now we get into the juicier stuff the, the stuff everyone's looking for. So, with last week's news that Hogwarts Legacy had been delayed to 2023, shocker, not really, we finally got a another look at the game. Um, so, they showed a new trailer for Hogwarts Legacy and confirmed the new release date for the game coming to Xbox and PC on February 10th, 2023. Now, I, I, I gotta be honest, that first showing we saw for it at that PlayStation State of Play they did earlier in the year... I, I was like, I can't believe, you know, as someone who kind of loathes the Harry Potter universe, I cannot believe how good this game looks and how interested I am in this game. Um, this second look we got at it, it wasn't bad at all. It's just, it looked more ordinary, I'll say. Like, that first time we saw it, it looked like a very unique game. It looked like everything people could ever envision a Harry Potter game to be, ideally at least. And it looked like it was all coming to fruition. But this more concise trailer we saw... Um, more narrative-driven trailer we saw at the Game Awards, or not Game Awards, at Gamescom. It just looked more like an ordinary game. It looked like more like, hey, we're making a AAA Harry Potter game. Here it is, you know? 
And so I don't I don't really think they should really move the needle in terms of whether or not the game looks good or bad. I think it just looks like another look at it. It didn't really change my perception of it. It just didn't get me more excited for it. But I th- I think I think this game is going to be absolutely massive. And um, I don't know. I think I think February 10th. I think it's poised to be one of those games where people are going to have to get out of this game's way. Um, not that because we know that early next year is starting to look busy. Lots of games are supposed to start coming out around late January through March, but I, I think Hogwarts Legacy is going to be one of those games. Maybe I'm not I'm not saying it's going to be as big or as talked about or as groundbreaking as um, as Elden Ring, but I think you know considering Elden Ring came out around this time this year, I think this has the potential to be next winter, next early year. Uh, ears version of uh, of an Elden Ring where it's like that big game that comes out and it's like everyone bought it, everyone's talking about it, everyone's playing it. Um, and the craziest thing of all to me is that it's I just can't get over this. I know it's like Jesse, you only care about this game because despite your hatred for Harry Potter, you love Avalanche Software because they used to be owned by Disney and make all those Disney games you're nostalgic for. Yes, fuck you. Yes, you're right. Um, but I just it, it blows my mind that at the end of the day I'm like. Yeah, this is the team behind my beloved Disney Infinity franchise that's making this game. Like, obviously, they're being given a whole lot more uh, team to work with. They're being given a whole lot more money and free range to really, truly make something from the ground up. Truly beautiful. And um, it's just crazy to see that, like, after so many years of this being a team that made movie tying games, licensed tying games, these uh, short development cycle, more like games as a service type games. toys to life type games they're finally being given the chance to make a triple a massive budget put your all into it kind of product and you know the game is not out we don't know yet but it looks like it's shaping up to be quite a fucking massive game like a game that is going to command a lot of attention a lot of praise potentially you know provided it all comes together now i think the only thing that makes me worry about this is the nintendo switch version of the game um I know that the, the Switch version is delayed. It's coming out later than February. It's only coming out for Xbox, PlayStation, PC on February 10th. But man, if they let's let's hope they don't fuck that up because this game is also coming to last gen con, uh, consoles like the Xbox One. That's the stuff that worries me. It's trying to get this game running on an Xbox One or a Nintendo Switch. But you take that out and you just focus on the PC and the Xbox Series X version of the game. It looks it looks like it's shaping up to be just such a a really good AAA. Harry Potter game, something that people have been clamoring for for so long and just have not been given. So it's crazy to think that Avalanche of all teams are being the ones to have the opportunity to bring that to market. But yeah, man, I'm I'm still incredibly um, curious to play this game. I will absolutely be buying it and playing it day one. Um, I just, um, man, look how far we've come, dude. It's You know, it's funny, just as another side note, because last week we talked about that canceled um, Iron Man game that never that never happened because Disney wanted a massive staff to make the game in an unrealistic amount of time and then just shit the game out. It's like, you know what, Disney? You know, we see that story about how you just didn't learn, you just didn't give the proper time and money and just stand back and let the let the artists make the art and you suffered for it every step along the way. And you look at Avalanche who were owned and operated by the Walt Disney Company by Disney Interactive for so many years before they were shut down and then revived by WB to make Hogwarts Legacy. And it's just like, well, it looks like they're doing better than ever without Disney. It's like, man, Disney, maybe if you ever actually knew what the fuck you were doing with video games and understood what kind of talent you had under your belt, 
you know, you would have you would have been like Avalanche. Um, you guys are great. We want to give you free reign to take care of any of our IP. You want to make a Star Wars game? You want to make a Marvel game? You want to make some fucking crazy Disney crossover universe game? Whatever you want to do, take an IP, take an idea, take money, take time, go fuck off and make whatever you want to make. And maybe Disney uh, Avalanche Software could have made a Hogwarts Legacy type game for you, but nope. Instead, WB gets to reap the rewards, and I am suffering here. I'm forced against my will to play a Harry Potter game. How dare you? But no, all joking aside, I just I think it's an interesting observance is all, just because, again, maybe I'm speaking a little bit premature because the game's not out yet. We don't know. Maybe maybe it's the next Cyberpunk. Maybe this game fucking sucks and it's broken. I don't know. But it looks like this is a team that ended up being quite capable um, they they just needed the opportunity and, and were never given so until until now. So I'm I'm happy for them. I'm happy for for Harry Potter fans. It looks like this is shaping up to be the Harry Potter game. You know, much like Spider Man 2018 was for uh, Spider Man. I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about new tales from the Borderlands. So this was leaking and rumoring and blah 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 all last week. And guess what? It was true. So they showed tales new tales from the Borderlands. You might remember tales from the Borderlands was. A, I think, man, this year's coming up a lot, this episode. I think that was a 2014 game by Telltale in association with Gearbox, the creators of Borderlands. Of course, that version of Telltale is long dead and gone. Um, so Return of, or New Tales from the Borderlands is a basically a new Telltale-style Borderlands games, but it's not being made by Telltales. It's being made by... Uh, Gearbox, <laughs> the team that actually originally makes Borderlands. So I know that sounds a little confusing, but basically... It's another Telltale-style game set in the Borderlands universe, but this time it's being made by the people that make Borderlands, not by the people that make Telltale games. And yes, the rumors were correct. It's coming to Xbox and PC on October 21st, so very shortly here. Um, we got about two months, and we'll have it out. Um, and you know what? As someone who never played Tales from the Borderlands back when it came out, and who is definitely not going to play this game either, from an outsider's perspective, it just looks like more Tales from the Borderlands. And I know... That was one of the Telltale games that people really liked. People thought it was incredibly funny, really surprising how well it worked considering the IP they were working with, and that's great. I know people are really excited about this as well. I hope it works out. I hope it's, I hope it's like you know when they made that second South Park game and it managed to be just as good as the first one despite switching developer hands. You know, it just still felt like it was in line. I don't know. So hopefully that all pans out here. Um, but yeah, I mean, we finally got the confirmation of the date, the platforms, the, the developer, everything, and uh, here it is, Tales from the Borderland. Should be a pretty good get, considering it's coming out in a time where there's really not much else, except, of course, October 21st. Now you're starting to get into uh, Arkham Knights and Modern Warfare 2's territory, but this is obviously a very different kind of game that probably already only appeals to a market that's already established and carved out for this IP, so it's not necessarily competing in the same space. Um, but yeah, it's confirmed, so we got that. Next up, they did a little quick tease, uh, not a quick tease, but a quick showing for some DLC. Dying Light 2, their first big DLC campaign, Bloody Ties. Um, it's coming out Thursday, October 13th, so if you have the season pass or whatever, or you're looking forward to your Dying Light 2 additional content, just know you got that in less than two months on the way. So they showed a trailer for that. And then next up, uh, they showed a trailer for an update on... Goat Simulator 3. So this is funny. I did not I did not notice this. Uh, Kronky had to bring this to my attention. But um, 
So they showed a, a trailer for Goat Simulator 3, and I was like, oh, cool, whatever, Goat Simulator. I, that's one of those games. I, I have it downloaded, but I never, ever, ever played the first one. I never played it ever at all. But <laughs> apparently there was never a Goat Simulator 2. I just assumed there was. And I assume most people probably assume there was. The joke is that they just fucking skipped Goat Simulator 2 and just made the third one. They're like, ah, fuck it. We'll just make Goat Simulator 3. And <clears throat> the creator, um, Coffee Stain, the developer and the creator of the of the game, are like going on and on about how they're like, I, I don't know who the market for this is. Obviously, the first one did very well for itself. But he's like, we're, we're just making the game because we think it's funny. We just love the physics and the, and the ways you can break it and fuck with it. And we just think it's a fun thing to make. And we're keep going and... It, 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 I, I love the uh, the endearment and like the kind of attitude at this developer where it's just we're just fucking around. We're just having a good time. We don't care if it if it's necessarily what people want or if it's going to do well or not. It's just it's a fun game to make and we want to make it. So here it is. So although Goat Simulator is not necessarily my cup of tea, uh, this uh, this information, this kind of perspective does add some admiration towards the franchise and the creators behind it. So. They showed that. That's cool. Still no, um, actually, still no release date. I think for it, um, but they are they're touting some multiplayer in it. So there's that. Uh, anyway, next up, and this is where we go from like updates and smaller news and you know cool stuff. But like this is where the show starts to get into like new IP, new IP, new IP, and this is where you know, like we just got some really good shit. Um, this is why I think this was such a good show, considering how bloated it was time wise. So next up, they show Under the Waves, which is a, a new game actually being published by Quantic Dream, uh, developer Quantic Dream are publishing it, and it's being developed by a new studio, Parallel Studio. Uh, so in this game, it's basically a narrative-based adventure game, pretty much in the realm of what Quantic Dream normally works with. Under the Waves tells the story of Stan, a professional diver looking to escape the crushing weight of life by exploring the ocean's depths. Um, soon begins, uh, stuff begins, strange things happen, blah, 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 adventure takes place, whatever. The game is currently penned for a 2023 release date for Xbox and PC. So this is actually, because this is weird to see Quantic Dream publishing game as they are historically a developer, um, but for context and reminder, this is the third game that Quantic Dream has been published since it decided to expand its business model back in 2019. Um, after a deal with NetEase, Chinese company NetEase, uh, saw the company shift into multiple platform development and self-publishing. Quantic Dream's previous published projects were Jomei's Sea of Solitude, Director's Cut, and the upcoming Dustborn from Red Thread Games. Um, Quantic Dream itself is also developing a game at the moment. They're working on Star Wars Eclipse, which was announced, uh, I think, a year ago at the, at the, um, at the Game Awards. It is a Typical Quantic Dream type narrative-driven decision-making game set in in the Star Wars universe during the um, like pre-prequels era. So pretty generally unexplored time period in Star Wars history. Um, the game was announced like about a year ago or so, and then almost immediately afterwards, a few months later, they're like, "Oh, we're delaying it to like 2025 because we need to hire people and we don't have any staff to work on the game." So you might remember that bit of news from Quantic Dream. So yeah, those guys, they're working on that Star Wars game that'll be out when all your grandchildren are in college. Um, and in the meantime, they're publishing this new game, um, Parallel Studios developed Under the Waves. Now, this game didn't necessarily speak to me just because I'm terrified of the deep sea. So I see someone underwater and I'm like, ah, I'm fucking not playing that game. But that's an arbitrary reason to not play a game. I, I enjoy quite a bit these story-driven, linear kind of narrative-style games like Life is Strange and, and things like that. 
Um, Quantic Dream, one of the OGs of this kind of genre. They're typically heralded as as just being really, really good at this, with, especially when they were more PlayStation, PlayStation-centric uh, partner with games like Heavy Rain and Detroit Become Human and things like that. So um, you, you got to hope that they're, you know, they're, they're putting their money in their, in their publishing efforts behind teams that they see a similar level of, of uh, creative potential in and that maybe this is a game that's going to be special in the way that a lot of old Quantic Dream titles were. Um, but unproven developer, unproven... Uh, IP, it's 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 exciting to see this stuff, you know. Like this is, and this this will become the story for the rest of, of of this Gamescom opening night live event, where it's just new developer, new IP, cool, you know, bring it. So uh, yeah, we don't know what to expect from these guys. Quantic Dream, not really a seasoned publisher at all. Um, the game's completely new. It's awesome. We need more of that, dude. Uh, I think there's always room for more of these narrative driven type linear experiences, especially in a world where. Most video games are like, it only takes 3,000 hours and, and two lifetimes to finish it, man. Come on, just hop in, just create a character and say goodbye to your wife. You know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm always up for something like this. I'm always up for a good, a good tight narrative, good little catharsis at the end. And then when the credits roll, you can go in there and delete the game from your Xbox and feel good about it and feel like you did a whole complete thing and that you're not under arrest by this game that now owns you. It's, it's great. All right, next up, we saw Friends vs. Friends. Now, this game, uh, there's no information as to when it's coming. They literally just said coming to PC and consoles. So we don't even know necessarily that's coming to Xbox, but we can assume it probably is. Um, this is an interesting game. It was basically weird. weird trailer. It was all a catchy song, and it's, it's weird. It's like a cartoony-looking, card-based 1v1 or 2v2 PvP shooter. Um, it combines deck building elements with shooting and it's just like you play with your friends. That's why it's called friends with friends. So it's like you team up with people or, you know, you, you match up with people and you just do a one V one shootout or two V two shootout. I, I, my mind goes to like call of duties. Um, what's that? What's that gun? Not gun game, but uh gunfight mode from modern warfare 2019. I love that shit. That shit is so intense and so exciting and fun to play. Um, so I'm just thinking of like a deck building, more charismatic, lighthearted cartoony version of that. Um, but yeah, it's being developed by Raw Fury and, or published by Raw Fury and developed by Brainwash, who Brainwash Gang. I've never heard of them. Not sure what they're behind. But again, new IP, new developer. Looks like a fun-ish game. Not necessarily my cup of tea, but it's a unique game. This looks like a fun thing you could download and play for a weekend with friends and get a couple of good laughs and kicks out of, and then move on and be like, hey, that was a fun game. You know, remember back when games would come out and you'd be like, oh, I'm gonna. I'm going to buy or download or try that game. I'm just going to enjoy it for a couple days and move on with my life. I might go finance a house if if, if home interest rates were below 2,000%. And you might go, I don't know, you might go to uh, the park and breathe fresh air and touch grass. But no, in today's world, you got to pick a games-as-a-service game and sign a, sign a contract to where they own you Friday nights through Sunday nights. And it's a whole thing, man. But no, this game looks good. Uh, brief little trailer. It looks like some fun shooting mechanics, but the uh, the deck building stuff immediately puts me off. It's not going to be for me just for that, I know, but I think uh, it looks like a creative, unique game, and I think this is a thing that can definitely find a, 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 niche, a niche little fun audience. Next up, this is a game I'm super excited about. Lies of P. 
Now, when Jeff Keighley was up there on stage describing what the fuck this game was, I'm like, that sounds so dumb. You're so dumb. Then they showed it. I'm like, that fucking looks cool. Now, I'm probably not going to enjoy this game because it is a Souls-like game, but goddamn, does it look cool. So Liza P is a Souls-like dark magician demon game where you play as Pinocchio. I don't know. I don't, I don't Maybe I misunderstood this. You play as Pinocchio? And you're saving the dark world that is haunted by dark magical demons. But don't think of, like, Disney's Pinocchio, a little wooden boy with a long nose. Think of, like, this fucking, like, brooding, demon-slaying-looking motherfucker with a robotic arm. And everything looks kind of, like, steampunkish, but also a little bit like Bloodborne. And it just makes no fucking sense. And there's these crazy monsters. And the action looks smooth and crazy and fucking cool. Now, this is this game has a heavy Xbox association. It's going to be a Game Pass game. I think it's a day one Game Pass game. And um, it's going to be featured in Xbox's Gamescom stream later this week. I think on Thursday they're doing one of those like extended streams where they're going to do a deeper dive into some of the games that were shown during opening night live. So we'll get more details on this game probably by the time this podcast is live. But from what I saw, like if this game were just more of like a hack and slash or just like a more combat uh more or more like arcadey action oriented game but otherwise with the exact same synopsis and tone and art style and everything that it already has dude i'd be so far up this game's ass it looks so cool but just knowing that it's going to be more of like a bloodborne get good die a million times kind of game it's probably going to turn me off but hey it's Game Pass, Xbox, I'll just try it through that. Maybe, who knows, maybe this will be the thing to get me in the door of that genre. But, dude, this game looks fucking sick. <laughs> I highly recommend you take a look at this game um, if you haven't already or if you didn't already see the trailer. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really into what we got here. So hopefully get some good information on that later this week from Xbox. Um, but no no release date as of yes, yet, but we do know it is, of course, coming to Xbox. Now, the next game, this is the game I thought looked the best. Of every game shown at the show, this is the game I'm most excited for. This game looks fucking sick. Atlas Fallen. It is a new action RPG from the team, uh, or sorry, from Focus Entertainment. They're the publisher. Um, publisher behind games like fucking Farming Simulator and Surge and all that. And developed by Deck 13. They're a German developer. Behind the Surge, actually. Same, same, the same development and publishing team duo. Um, but anyway, and it, it, it is a action RPG that promises fast-paced action combat. Uh, here, here's the quote from here's the quote from Jeremy Hartvik, uh, the game design director at Deck 13. He says, Our team at Deck 13 have gathered a lot of experience with close combat fighting duels, and we wanted to continue in that direction, but with a different angle and completely new mechanics, aiming for more fast-paced and effective loadout fights that require skill and timing. Fuck. Maybe this game isn't for me. <laughs> This is from uh, quotes that were from the PlayStation blog, but the game's coming to Xbox. They said, We designed the combat to be easy to pick up and play, but also loaded with mechanics that are tricky to perform or to perfect. So bump that motherfucker down to easy mode, and I'm all about it, man. But uh, Atlas Fallen will come to PC and Xbox Series X and S in 2023. So hopefully 2024, you know, at the latest, we'll get this. But guys, this game looks so fucking cool this is the the thing that that's like i might have i might have to actually stop stop playing sonic long enough to actually play this game i I don't even know i like describe what i'm seeing here it's like this fucking desert 
ruins, ancient place, and this guy, he's got, like, the fucking cloak and the, and the armor on. He looks like some Warcraft slash um, G.I. Joe villain. I don't know what the hell's going on, but he's got, like, these powers and shit, and he's rebuilding bridges. But it's the last bit of the trailer. Like, the CG's awesome. He's finally this fucking monster with all these, like, heavy melee weapons and looks fucking thick and awesome and cool, and the thighs are everywhere. But the, the cool part is the end of the trailer where it shows the 15 seconds of gameplay we get. Um, from this reveal. Goddamn, the man's like sliding down slant, sand dooms, slashing the fuck out of enemies. It's like the kind of like over-the-top action you get from like Japanese combat games like Bayonetta or, or something like that, but with like a very Western-looking, you know, obviously I'm not playing it, so I don't know, Western-looking kind of control combat, heavier, stiffer, more uh, style. So I, I, I don't really know what to make of it. Just It just looks like a beautiful marriage between third-person action, like, melee combat games from Western developers and Japanese developers combined into one game that I just I just gotta play. This game looks so fucking cool. The the, the character looks badass. The environment looks exciting and interesting. Uh, like, desolate, but also incredibly, like, alluring. And the combat looks so over-the-top. Um, I, I cannot believe how excited I am about this game, but I am, I'm pretty excited for this game. And God almighty, I hope it ends up not being... One of those games that's, like, so up its own ass with its mechanics being all, like, you gotta master it if you want to beat this part of the game and progress. Like, I just, dude, let me fucking hack and slash and turn my brain off and be like, cool. But, um, I don't know. Maybe it'll be a fair balance of both. But I'm definitely looking forward to Atlas Fallen, for sure. It was the game that caught my attention the most of all the new games that were announced and shown at this show. So, that. Next up, we got, for the second time, a look at High on Life which is uh, a new game that's launching day one in the Game Pass. We saw it when it was announced at the uh, Summer Game Fest. Um, it is being developed by Squanch Games. Um, and so this time, you know, this is that game from the, the, the people that do Rick and Morty with all the, com- the comedy where, like, you, the guns are aliens and they have little faces on them and they talk to you and they're like, oh, shit, Rick and Morty, I don't know. Uh, you know, they, they make all the, the um, adult swim jokes and, you know, you, you smoke from your e-cigarette while you while you play the game. But um, I don't know. Like, this game looks very fun and very unique and, like, incredibly innovative and creative. Like, I don't want to take that away from this game. I think this game is doing a lot right in terms of just being a unique, standout, one-of-a-kind game. That not only looks like it has a really good angle into being a unique game to stand out from the crowd, but also just looks like a genuinely good first-person shooter. So I, I want to give it credit where it's due. And I thought this was actually a better showing than the last time we saw the game because it was just a... It's like, hey, let's just show you what a boss fight looks like. We'll just show you the game in action. Not not a mashup trailer with little bits and cuts and pieces of gameplay. Like, let's just show you what the game is like in action. And the constant narrative of, like, all your weapons and abilities just, like, talking to you as you use them, even though I'm not crazy about the dialogue, I, I do I do think it's, it's quite engaging on top of what already looks like pretty competent first-person shooting um, paired with some, like, fun, you know, traversal mechanics, hook swinging and things like that. So, I, I don't know. I'm into this game. I think I think this game is going to be very good. I, I'm without a doubt going to play it. Um, the game did recently get a little bit of a delay. It was supposed to come out, I think, in October originally. Now it's December 13th. No biggie there. I will absolutely be giving this game a go in December. Game Pass game day one, like I said. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this this game looks good. My, my only concern about this game, because I think the game itself is going to be good. My only concern, and this is such an arbitrary and petty thing, is that I don't want this game to become... 
to video games what Deadpool became to movies, where it's just like uh, like all the fucking the guys they try to do like the Deadpool humor. They go to the hot topic. They get, they get the the Deadpool Funko Pop and the hoodie, and like everyone tries to like ape that that type of that sense of humor. Like everyone is like fucking Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Like that's the sense of humor going forward. And I get a lot of that vibe from this game and from things like Rick and Morty. I'm like. Don't let that that personality type and that humor seep its way into gaming, please, for the love of God. I just, I just, don't, I'm not trying to be. I know I sound like such a fucking hater. I know I sound like such a asshole, but it's like I, I, I cannot handle more of that type of just. God, that's so annoying. Just don't do that, please. But um, that being said, I mean the game. I, you, you, you got to give credit where credit's due. This game looks so incredibly um, unique. It looks like a competent first-person shooter, and uh, also, I'm a, I'm a total hypocrite because I hate on Rick and Morty. It's a project behind Dan Harmon, the guy made Community. It's my favorite sitcom of all time. So come on, man, give the game a try. All right, that's just me pep talking myself into this game, guys. I hope you enjoy it as well. It, it looks good, and it's uh, definitely a good get for Game Pass. I think this is when you look at Game Pass, it gets a lot of that bullshit criticism where it's like, oh, well, Game Pass gets these tiny little indie games no one cares about. Well, it's like, well, dude, look at High on Life. It's a game nobody saw coming, nobody expected. It's not an obvious get from, like, a first-party team or, like, a usual suspect that Xbox has a history of working with. It is a unique new game from a new team that Xbox went and sought out and was like, this would be perfect for Game Pass, and boom, here it is. I think this is a really solid get for Game Pass. All right, next let's talk about Let's bring it all back to Telltale, which we were talking about earlier. The Expanse. Yes, Telltale is making a game based on The Expanse, the TV show The Expanse. Now, as a reminder, Telltale Games is not the same Telltale Games that used to exist back in the day, back during the late 360, early Xbox One days that made, like, The Walking Dead and Sam and Max and The Wolf Among Us and all that. It's not that Telltale. That Telltale went out of business, went under, they're dead, they're gone. Basically, the name was bought, the the brand was revived, but it's an all-new developer just under that old name. This is their first game back under the name Telltale, and they're kind of following the footsteps of the old Telltale, where they are making games in that vein of, like, let's get a, a, a pretty big property, usually from, like, a TV series, and then we'll make a cool episodic, you know, story-driven, narrative-driven game based in that universe. The only difference is it's not episodic anymore. Now it's just going to be one big game so you don't have to wait two months for a new episode every time you just buy the game one time and you play all the content and the weird thing is the game is is i th- i can't tell if telltale is publishing it or if they're co-developing it but they're working with deck nine games in deck nine are another developer uh i think they're french or canadian i don't remember anyway but they uh they work in a similar genre they actually did the spin-off to life is strange one called Life is Strange Before the Storm. And they've done some other things since then. I think I think they also made Tell Me Why or no, they made they made one of the other games in the Life is Strange universe. Oh, maybe they're the ones oh, I think they're the ones that made Life is Strange True Colors. It's the only one in the series I haven't played yet. So I th- I think that's what they I think that's the other one they did. But from my experience, Deck Nine is actually so good at I, I love Life is Strange. I think Deck Nine might even be better than Don't Nod, which is the core developer of that franchise. They might actually be better than Dota at making these kinds of games. So, um, if they're working on this, I think that's that's uh, that that bodes well for I think what this project could be. Also, it seems like they're trying to get a little more gameplay focused on this genre 
than like old school Telltale games were, where it's like you almost never even walk around. It's mostly just dialogue trees. Um, so now there's just a little more interactivity with the environment, a little more walking around. Seems just like they're trying to get a lot, trying to lean in more towards like gameplay mechanics, and not just dialogue, um, which is cool. I'm, I think a lot of people will like that. So. Uh, as, as for the IP in the game itself, I, I don't care. Like <laughs> this, this couldn't, I couldn't care less. But I think it's incredibly interesting that this this name Telltale lives again, and that they're working with a really proven developer within this genre with Deck Nine. Um, so that's supposed to come out next summer. Uh, we'll have to keep keep an eye out because I bet she gets delayed. But um, yeah, interesting stuff to see a, a, a close look at that. Next up, I think this is probably the most out-of-left-field announcement from the entire event, no doubt. I don't know how anyone could say otherwise, but uh, they announced a 3v7 asymmetrical online multiplayer game in the vein of all these horror-based, you know, Dead by Daylight, Evil Dead, Friday the 13th type games um, based on the obscure 80s cult classic, if you want to even call that, um, horror movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> so they're making Killer Clowns from Outer Space the the game, um, and it, it, they say it comes from the mind behind Friday the Thirteenth the game, um, but the developer is not the same developer. The game is already uh, promising frequent updates after launch, meaning the Killer Clowns will be haunting gamers for long time to come. Um, the game is set to launch in early 2023 on PC and Xbox. Yeah, right. But uh, it's being developed by. TerraVision Games and published by Good Shepherd Entertainment. I looked these guys up on Steam. I've never heard of either of these, this publisher or this developer. They they make a bunch of games that are on Steam, uh, like Black Future 88 and Hard West 2 and uh, The Eternal Cylinder. Um, and they, they, they just range from like like Western, I can't even tell what this is, like some kind of Western strategy action top-down game. This like puzzle game looking thing at transport fever Two, this train game i like they make really weird games that have like no lineage with this kind of asymmetrical horror genre so very interesting place you know for them to be with making this game but also incredibly interesting ip for them to be working with i just find everything about this story incredibly obtuse and just out of left field now killer clowns from outer space is a is a property as someone who's not a horror fan, I would never have known of this property. I, I, I'm only even aware of this because I live in Orlando where fucking horror is like, you know, horror and Halloween season and, and just haunted houses and gut, guts and blood and all that is like a fucking, it is a fucking uh, way of life here. It is a cult following. Like, there's just a, a massive swath of people in this city and the, like their entire identity is based on like Halloween time, horror movies, blood and guts serial killers on your on your bedroom wall like all that shit like the only reason i know about that is because uh the the big halloween event that happens here at universal every year did um did a whole like theme for this one year for the based on this movie and my friend who's like really into this stuff like introduced me to this otherwise i would have never known what the fuck killer clowns from outer space is like i, I mean I, I shouldn't be the barometer for this because i don't i don't know anything about movies i've i've, I've barely fucking seen Shark Tale, let alone, you know, the goddamn Titanic at this point. But um, and I just find this to be such an obscure poll. Like, you look at this this growing genre we have of these asymmetrical multiplayer games based on um, these these horror franchises. You know, Evil Dead makes sense. Friday the 13th, no-brainer, right? Uh, even, like, uh, the they did the um, 
predator hunting ground. Obvious, right? These are great IP to be working with. Um, and then you got, of course, um, Dead by Daylight, which is an original IP, but then pulls in a bunch of references and characters over various seasons from other horror franchises. All of this makes perfect sense for the genre. But now it's like they're already like, and I don't mean this as an insult to this IP, but like, it's like, why are you already scraping the bottom of the fucking barrel? Like, you haven't even made an asymmetrical multiplayer game based on like aliens. Like, where's your fucking, I don't know, Freddy vs. Wait, that is Friday the 13th. I don't know. Where's your scream asymmetric multiplayer game? What's another popular, like, no-brainer horror thing? Where's your asymmetrical horror game based on it, you know? Like, it's such a weird one that this is the IP they pulled from. But I, I got to be honest, based on at least the tonal trailer, I'm like, I, I think this is cool. I, th I think this is, I think everything about that IP, especially because it's so fucking campy and ridiculous. I mean, in that you could make that argument for just horror in general. But especially with this IP, I, I think it lends itself well to video games. I think it's an IP that maybe won't pull a whole lot because not a lot of people are familiar with it. But nonetheless, the IP itself is well fitted for video games. So I don't know. It's a it's a good marriage. It's just a really peculiar one to get in the first place. And then the developer and publisher behind it are also truly irregular. The only thing that makes sense here is that it, they say that the minds behind Friday the 13th, which just tells me that a lot of people or some important people involved with the creation of Friday the 13th, the game have left and gone to work with Terravision games. Who even made Friday the 13th? You know what? My, my tiny brain doesn't even know. Why did I want to say Aspire? That's no way. Yeah, Ilphonic. Ilphonic were the developers of, uh, yeah, Ilphonic were the developers of Friday the 13th, the video game. So, and they're, and they're the ones working on currently uh, that Ghostbusters, Spirits Unleashed. Again, that's another one. It's like, yeah, Ghostbusters, Spirits Unleashed. Ghostbusters and IP makes perfect sense for an ice, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, one of those like 4v1 type um, asymmetric multiplayer games. But I, I don't know. Here, here, here we are. But uh, nonetheless, I, I, I think it's cool. I'm not even trying to like harp on it or be negative about it. I, I think it's cool. It's just like super, super out of left field. So that's Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the video game. Um, man, this this uh, this horror trend is it's. Dude, this train keeps rolling, man. This is a. These must be doing well enough. They're finding an audience, and you know they're not super high budget games, so I get it. They don't have to sell to a massive, massive audience in order to be successful. But it is crazy just how much success we're seeing, or how much continuation of this trend we're seeing. Next up, we got a uh, word song. I think I'm saying this right. W Y R D song. Word song. This is another one of those games. It's like I, I don't, yeah. A completely new IP, completely new developer. Really exciting in that regard. I take a little bit of umbrage with what we're with some things about this, but nonetheless, I think this is a game that's probably going to get the attention of a lot of people, um, and you'll know why in just a second. So let me just read this. So let me just read you this real quick. Um, not much known about the game other than it's a fantasy RPG built in Unreal Engine Five. However. The allure of this announcement was the pedigree of some of the developers working at at the team. The team is called new developer called Something Wicked Games and it is comprised of veteran esteemed developers from games like Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 4, Skyrim, and they also mention like Dragon Age and stuff. So we're talking Obsidian, we're talking Bethesda, we're talking um BioWare, all these like really esteemed AAA or BioWare at one point, you know, esteemed AAA open world 
RPG single player type games. And you got a bunch of those guys getting together, forming this new team, something wicked games and working on a brand new fantasy RPG called word song. I think that immediately is enough to get a lot of that contingent, that fan base just like, okay, hell yeah. Kind of like when Avowed was announced, it's like, you know, we got more than this, but we got very little about it. We just knew it's like, Hey, it's like, a Skyrim type game from guys that made Fallout New Vegas. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I, I want to play that game, you know? Immediately, it's like that just it gives you everything you need to know to know whether or not it's something you should care about. Uh, but I will read this. Here, here's some write-up from Polygon's article on the game. They said, Word Song is a fantasy adventure set in Portugal during the Middle Ages. Sounds cool. It's coming soon from former Bethesda Game Studios uh, designer Jeff Gardiner uh, and Obsidian Entertainment alums Charlie Staples, the open world RPG was announced Tuesday to begin uh, Gamescom 2022. Okay, so far so good. Here we go. Gardner, a 16 year veteran of Bethesda Studios, uh, with production credits on Fallout 3, Elder Scrolls 4, Skyrim, Fallout 4, Fallout 76, left Bethesda last August to form Something Wicked Games with Staples, a design director with a 15 year tenure at Obsidian. Their, st- <laughs> their studio has backed Sorry, this is this is this is the kicker. Their studio has backing from Chinese mega publisher NetEase. It's like, God damn it. And NetEase is one of the ones where it's like a little more like, oh, we don't know the extent to there. But like NetEase, of course. So it's like, okay, really important talent. And, and also important to note, these guys left Obsidian and Bethesda recently. So this is losing core talent from these now owned Xbox teams, Bethesda and Obsidian. And now they're off doing their own thing, forming a new studio, and uh, with with the funding and the publishing from NetEase. So I, this is such a weird one. It's like Xbox loses some serious core talent, uh, big big Chinese publisher investment company gets more and more money, more and more talent from the games industry, injecting and pushing their way through, uh, and players get a new game. Um, that is set in an incredibly interesting setting. I mean, Portugal, Middle Ages Portugal, sounds cool as shit. Dark fantasy RPG, sounds cool as shit. From people who made games like Fallout and Skyrim, sounds cool as shit. But it's like, uh, you look at all the factors surrounding it, it's like, ah, I don't, uh, that's that's cool. I'm just, I'm a little like iffy on this one. <laughs> but uh, I, dude, I, I'm definitely curious to just to see what this game is and what it looks like. Um, to be clear, this is early, early days. As far as an, an announcement for a game like this is, we're talking about guys who left their respective teams uh, less uh, about a year ago and just started this new developer. So this is one of those, and we've seen a lot of these recently, right? This is one of those, hi, here is a list of people working on a game, a splash screen for the game, an idea, a tonal piece, whatever. We are working on a game, and we need people to come work with us. Please apply to our, our company. That's what this is more than anything. This is like a um, a job ad more than it is more than it is like an announcement hype piece for us players. So just definitely definitely want to be straightforward about what what we're looking at here. But um, man, I mean, this is this is definitely something to keep an eye out. You got this. You got Outer Worlds two. You got Avowed. You got um, Starfield, and then in twenty five years, you got the next Elder Scrolls game. You got a lot of this type of game starting to bubble up and, and start to take take the attention and take the spotlight um, for people who love this kind of genre, love this kind of game. And it's been a long, it it feels like it's been a long time since we've really gotten much of anything out of this genre with the exception of when Outer Worlds came out a few years ago. 
And now we've got a, a handful of these games percolating and in, in development, and sooner sooner rather than later, we're going to start to be fed with this shit. So there's that. Next up, and we'll just blast through this one, Age of Empires 4. Obviously, it's been out for a year. They showed um, a new update, free update, that adds two new civilizations, the Malians and the Ottomans. These two civilizations will be added for free on October 25th, so obviously you can mention that. Xbox game, technically, it's on PC only, whatever. Next, they showed Gotham Knights for the million fucking time. Guys, I gotta be honest. I want to like Gotham Knights. I want to be into this game. I want to want to play it. At first, I really thought I was going to play it, and then the last time they showed it, I was like, ah, I don't think so. And now, I think I'm a little more interested in it again after seeing this more narrative tonal piece, uh, but I just don't think I'm going to play it. The game has officially gone gold, which is an industry term for meaning the game is ready to go. They're ready to start printing and shipping it, although they will continue to work on it even after they've shipped it, and that's how you get your day one updates and things like that. But the game's basically ready to be printed and sold, is what they mean. They showed another... They showed another trailer for the game, um, this time with Harley Quinn and Batgirl, and it looks pretty interesting, I'm not going to lie. But the biggest news here was they've announced the game is no longer coming out on October 25th. Now, you might be saying, Jesse, another delay? Really? No, actually, you dumb bitch. This is an undelay. This is, a in Spanish, undelay, which means uh, ha- rapido, which means hurry the fuck up. And so what we're getting here is they're speeding up the release day of the game. It's no longer coming out October 25th because they're moving it up four days. It's coming out October 21st, baby. They're trying to beat out Call of Duty. They're saying, Call of Duty, get your fucking name. Get get my fucking game's name out your goddamn mouth. And, uh, and, and now the game's coming out four days early. So that actually is pretty cool, especially in a world where we only get delays. Now we're finding out the game's coming early. Not bad. I think that has everything with just trying to strategically get it ahead of Call of Duty. And remember, Call of Duty's campaign can now be accessed a week early if you pre-order it, as we learned last week. So this might be in response to that. Like, let's try to get it out a little sooner so that we don't lose ground to Call of Duty because that's really the only game Gotham Knights is competing with. And obviously, Call of Duty is Call of Duty. It will, it will sell its copies to its base no matter what. But Gotham Knights, you know, it, it can be affected by, by that game. You know, if it's... It's the only other game around on the market, so um, I think that's really all they're trying to do is just trying to get out there a little bit sooner before Call of Duty takes takes uh, entire control over the industry or over the market for you know until December since there's nothing else coming out. Actually, that's not true. We'll get to that later. Um, Hideo Kojima presents uh, Brain Structure. So this next announcement, I don't fucking know. Um, well, how do I want to put this? I, I, I don't know what the hell we were expecting. We knew Kojima was going to be at the show because it was teased in advance. Uh, but I, again, who was expecting this? He's there, and it's the typical, like, Jeff Keighley's like, my best friend Hideo Kojima's here to talk to you. And then there's, like, a pre-recorded video where Hideo Kojima's like, hi, Jeff. Hi, best friend Jeff. Um, I'm here to announce... My podcast, exclusively on Spotify. Not even making this up. He has a new podcast called Brain Structure. It's available in Japanese and English. And it's uh, beginning September 8th, available exclusively on Spotify. So he's right up there in the realm of Joe Rogan, uh, just with exclusive Spotify podcasts, I guess. And uh, he's like, Jeff Keighley will be occasionally on the podcast to talk about industry-breaking news. Uh, so that that was his cool, you know? Kojima, get back to work. We want to, what, What's that Xbox game you're working on? 
But, yeah, that was Kojima's showing. I guess we'll just mention that for shits and giggles. Uh, next up, they showed Park Beyond. This is a game we've seen before. I, I have so little enthusiasm for this. It's another one of those, like, well, it's being developed by the, the, the developer of Tropico, Limbic Entertainment, um, published by Bandai Namco, which is an interesting pairing, actually. Uh, but it's another one of those, like, theme park building type games, like tycoon games. It is a little different. It tries to be a little bit of a simulation as well as a tycoon game and, and, and do some more wonky shit. Um, so it, they are trying to break the conventions of the genre a bit. It's just I, I can't sit here and pretend like I care about these, like, roller coaster tycoon games for the most part. I, I, I usually really don't. There are very few of these that have ever interested me. Planet Coaster gave me blue balls when I tried to play it. So we're, we're good. I'm good. I nothing to say this is the second time i think we've seen it they didn't they still didn't have a release date so like i mean what what do you want me to say guys you want to get excited go play atlas fallen now we're starting to move towards the end of the showcase now there's one game that we did skip over that was much early in the showcase which i'll talk about last because it's my favorite we'll, we'll talk about this as we start to go into the last i'd say quarter of the show next we saw maybe we should move a little faster blacktail a witch's fate this is another game I actually thought looked really cool. Uh, another Focus Entertainment published game, French publisher Focus Entertainment. They're they're growing. They're becoming pretty prominent. Atlas Fallen and Blacktail, which is fate. It seems like Focus Entertainment, they you know they 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 know how to pick some good ones, I guess. Uh, but uh, anyway, apparently this game's already been announced. But this is the first time I'm really remembering or hearing about it. But it's being developed by a new Polish developer. Their name is The Parasite. Uh, not not spelled like parasite. It's it's parasite as in like eyesight. So a little play on words there, double entendre. Uh, but the game is called Blacktail, a witch's fate, and it tells a story. It, it's a retelling of the legendary Baba Yaga story. I, I don't really know anything about that that tale, that story. So I just I've heard of it many times. I don't know what it is. But Focus Entertainment apparently liked what they saw from the game because they scooped up the publishing rights and they are showing off the. They, they showed off a trailer during opening night live. Sorry, I'm reading this from Shaq News. I don't know why I have this one pulled up. Uh, anyway, and the game is now slated to release this winter on PC and Xbox consoles. I cannot imagine this game is going to come out this winter, but I sure hope I'm wrong because this game actually looks pretty fucking cool. Um, now, this, this doesn't have me excited the way that Atlas Fallen does, but it does look quite interesting. Um, I guess there's like these two sisters or these two witches and you kind of choose which side you want to play on and you go further down which which path of like good witchery or bad I don't know but it's weird it's like fantasy but like you play with this bow and arrow from the first person perspective creatures look cool the world looks cool it's like one of those fantasy games where it doesn't look like medieval fantasy it looks like fantastical fantasy with some actual charm and color and anthropomorphic creatures but it's also got kind of a more realistic tone it's not totally cartoony and i don't know what to say i think the game looks fucking cool like i i'm pretty interested in giving this one a go um from what i understand it's more of like um it's more of like an action uh game it's not like a big open world blah 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 blah, blah. so hopefully what we're getting here is something something pretty like hopefully we get something a little more concise and just like a story-driven action adventure game nothing no no frills you know no fucking oh it's a souls game or oh there's deck building or oh my god get seven of your closest fucking friends and and do twenty thousand hours of questing like hopefully it's just a cool narrative an actual uh you know actual like 
objective in mind and you play the game and you enjoy the game and, and it happens and it ends at some point so that's what i'm hoping for based on what we're seeing here but the game looks cool it's apparently coming out this year i fucking doubt it i'll i'll, I'll eat my i'll eat my left hand if this game doesn't get delayed into 2023 but um we'll see we only got so many months left in the year so we'll see all right next up we saw phantom hellcat this is another game that i thought looked pretty cool um, from All In Games, this is a relatively new Polish publisher. They've only been around like five years or so. Uh, and it's being developed by Ironbird Creations. They're a new development studio. Um, this is an action game that has players shifting perspectives to cut down as many enemies as possible. Look for, The game is slated to come to PC and consoles, although it doesn't specify. We can assume it's probably coming to Xbox. Yeah, so it's like a perspective, like 2D, 3D perspective shifting um, hack and slash game. And the studio wants to do a mix of 2D, 3D. Um, and the combat is inspired by the Nier series, like Nier Automata, Nier, whatever the other game is called, um, which I actually played a little bit of the game. The combat is the strong suit of that game. So if it is, they're, they're, they're touting it as a hack and slash 2D, 3D, Nier combat inspired game. I'm sold. This looks great. You know, get this shit on Game Pass. This looks like a great get. Visually, the game looks stunning. I, I, I want to know more about this game. I'm definitely curious to see more of this game. Um, it's 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 like tonally dark, um, but like the world is just like I don't know, it's brimming with like crazy creatures and like just creepy imagery. And it's just it just looks fucking cool, man. This girl's got like this purple crazy sword and like slashes like all this dark magic that she like runs around the world and beats the shit out of it. it looks like there's maybe a little bit of light platforming along with it. Like I don't know. This is a this looks to be a Jesse game through and through, and I'm really hoping that um, I'm really hoping that it is because I'm I'm curious to see more. Again, another new IP, new developer, European based, coming not too far away. There's there's a reoccurring theme here. You see this guy's do game, Gamescom is killing it, man. We got all these European developers. They got new new teams, new ideas, new IP. And they're not promising games that are coming 30 fucking years into the future. I, I I miss this shit. Like, this is what gaming has needed. This is the kick in the ass gaming has needed. It's not just like, oh, we're making another Star Wars game. It'll be out in seven years, and it's a Souls game, but it's open world, and you can play with 24 of your closest friends. It's like, come on, guys. Someone make, someone make a fucking game that isn't just the same game all the time, and... That's why I was so, like, rejuvenated, <laughs> like, reinvigorated by this, by this press conference. I was just like, fuck yeah, some, some good-looking games. <laughs> but uh, next, they showed Outlast Trials. This has been announced already. Still no date for it. Um, but they are doing a, um, a closed beta test in late Octo- October 28th to November 1st. So lining it up with Halloween, that's pretty uh, smart there. Uh, developer Red Barrels, the team that's been making all these Outlast games, the only thing is it's a, apparently it's a multiplayer-based game set in the Outlast world. I don't know if that's going to be like another asymmetrical, like Dead by Daylight, Killer Clowns from Outer Space type deal, or if it's going to be something different. But um, yeah, I, I, we've, I'm pretty sure we've heard of this before. I swear I've seen that name. Uh, but I've only ever played the first Outlast game. I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was a really good game. Never went back and played the second one. But um looks like they're trying to throw their hand in that toss their hat into that ring of these horror-based multiplayer games. Let's see how it pans out for them. Closed beta starting October 28th, so if you're interested, make sure you go to the website and see how you can sign up. And then lastly, so this is the last game they showed, but it's not the last game we're going to talk about because they showed another game earlier in the show that I saved for last because it's the best. But last thing they showed, and this is technically like the biggest thing just in terms of like 
giving like fuel for conversation. They re-revealed Dead Island 2. So there have been rumors in the weeks leading up to this that we were about to get a re-reveal for this game. Mind you, Dead Island 2 was announced in 2000. And here's the magic year, the year we keep referencing in this podcast for some reason. I guess it's because it was towards the end of the Windows Phone era, so we're all nostalgic for it. And inflation wasn't that bad back then. 2014, Dead Island 2 was announced at E3 2014. That iconic trailer with the person like in LA and they're jogging. They got their air, they're listening to their iPhone or their earbuds are in or whatever. And they're jogging like down the street. There's like all these zombies running around and stuff or whatever it is. I don't remember all the details. But anyway, the game has been in development hell forever. <laughs> this game uh, has been vaporware. Like, I, like I'm pretty sure I've said on this podcast before Dead Island 2 is vaporware. Mark my fucking words. But here it is. It's coming out February 3rd. There's a specific date. They showed a cinematic trailer and then they showed gameplay. And it's coming out on Xbox and PC via Epic Game Store, not Steam, um, on February 3rd. It's got a release date. Now, for reference, like I said, the game was announced all the way back eight years ago, 2014. And it's changed developers many times. Many times. When it was first announced, it was being developed by uh, Jaeger, which is the team that made Spec Ops The Line. And then a few years later, they shifted development over to Sumo Digital. And Sumo Digital, those are guys that end up making like Plague Tale and shit, like pretty, pretty growing developer now um and then they took it over for a couple years and then that fell apart and then around 2018 2019 somewhere around that time frame damn buster took it over uh in deep in deep silver they're a deep silver internally owned team deep silver the publisher of dead island so they took it over um all european developers and publishers and so they kind of restarted they even said on stage like we we've only been making this game for four years Game's been in development for eight, so they've only been making it for four, which means they completely restarted it. And, uh, yeah, so since 2019 or so is when they said the development really kicked up in, in, into into full gear. And Dan Buster, for those who don't know, that's the developer that made the second... Yeah, that's the, that's the, um, that's the company that made Homefront The Revolution, the sequel to Homefront, which is actually a game I only recently played for the first time. Of course, the original Homefront was made by chaos studios back when thq owned everything and that game was actually pretty good and then they they went under after that game and thq went under and all that and then deep silver acquired the Homefront rights and then damn bustard made the sequel Homefront: the revolution now that game was completely washed as as far as reviews metacritic reception because the game was buggy and it was broken now i hear that they, they they turned the game around with updates and patches over the years and that the game is pretty playable and decent these days. But again, like it, it shouldn't take years for you to fix a game. Like if, if it's busted at, at launch, it's busted. So needless to say, Dan Buster, they only have made this and that game Chorus that I also have always really wanted to play. Um, they don't have the best track record, although Chorus is pretty well received if, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. But this is really like their, only their third project. So... Um, it is, it is, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how this is going to go. You know, a game that has basically been up in the air for eight years, switched hands between three different developers and ultimately ended up falling into the hands of a relatively young developer with a mostly unproven track record. Hey, they showed gameplay. They showed the cinematic trailer. I don't like Dead Island. I thought the first game sucked. I thought that second spinoff game, Riptide, also sucked. I thought those games were terrible. And then when the main when, when the developer left and went on to do Dying Light, I thought Dying Light was awesome. And my whole attitude ever since 2015 when Dying Light came out has been, 
why the fuck would you ever need Dead Island when you can just go play, you know, Dying Light? It's way better. Um, but clearly, Deep Silver really is hell-bent on making this game happen at this point. And I, I can't imagine how much money they spent trying to make this game at this point. But it's coming. February 19th, we're finally getting this game. And I'll be honest, as someone who hates Dead Island 1, I'm not going to buy this game at launch. I'm definitely probably not even ever going to play it. But I'm curious to see, you know, how similar it is to the original, how different it is, you know, what the, what they end up doing. Because I, I thought the gameplay looked not half bad considering the eight years it's been since we've heard from this game and considering how much I dislike the first one. I I, I think the first one or this, I, th I thought the, the gameplay they showed was actually quite interesting looking. So that's Dead Island 2. It's actually happening. I cannot believe it. I still kind of don't believe it. Maybe once it's fully out, I'll believe it. But yeah, it's back from the dead. No pun intended. But um, yeah, that was that's quite a way to wrap up the show. Um, now, there's one other game we didn't talk about that was at the show, and it was pretty early in the show, but we'll talk about it now because it's my favorite. Motherfucker, I'm talking about Sonic Frontiers, one of the only non-European games shown at the show. And the most important thing is we got a release date and we got a new gameplay trailer. Guys, Sonic Frontiers went over to Sony and said, fuck you, God of War. I don't give a shit what you think you're doing. I'm coming out, ready or not, November 8th. I think Sonic Frontiers came out November 7th, 2017. Don't don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure that was the date. So they're hitting almost the exact same date, but of course in 2022. So I guess what's the real relation? Almost exactly five years later is what I'm trying to say since the last main entry 3D Sonic game. Dude, I cannot fucking wait for this game. I continue to think this game, every time we see it, this game just looks so good. It looks so good. Uh, it's it's like the first time I saw it, I, I had a lot of criticisms. I was a little weary about a couple things, but basically every time we've seen it since, I'm just like, no, it looks better. It looks better and better and better and better and better. And with there not being really anything else I give a shit about in terms of like the AAA space this year coming out, other than Call of Duty, I just dude, I'm so captivated by Sonic. Um, important things to note: this game is being written by the team that makes the Sonic comic book series. That's always been considered the only Sonic set of Sonic writers that knows how to do decent storytelling in the Sonic universe. So I'm hyped about that. Also, they are adamant that like this is the game. They're finally trying to make sure they put all the time and money into making sure that Sonic is a well-respected series again, that, that the game is polished and fun to play, and that it's kind of like back in the adventure days where people will enjoy and respect Sonic again. Now, that conflicts with a lot of the reporting we've been getting about how people are like, hey, the game needs a delay. And they're like, the developers are literally telling them our fans don't understand what kind of game we're making. They don't know who they're talking about. It's like, eh, maybe that's not how you want to talk about your fans. Even if you're right, who knows? That's probably not how you want to talk about them. But people are clamoring for a delay on this game. I'm always on team delay it because I want Sonic to come out in the best state possible. Uh, I'm so tired of having to be a Sonic fan championing this franchise while everyone's just like, Sonic is so dumb. Sonic's so lame. Yes, listen, Sonic has some some poor entries, but there's always something to love. These games always have the best music. He's a great character. There's so much potential for this franchise. And there's, dude, I'll, I'll just flat out say it. Sonic Sonic Forces, not a great game, but I played the shit out of it. And it's a fun game. Uh, Sonic Generations, great game. Sonic Colors, great game. Sonic Unleashed, such a fucking good game. Sonic has some really good modern entries, and people just don't take Sonic seriously. And that's fine. It is what it is. At the end of the day, I love Sonic. It's not like I need the world, I, the world to validate my love of it. But it's just, I, I want to see Sonic do well for itself. It's been 
endearing and exciting to see people start to take Sonic more seriously with the success of these movies the past few years, and that's great. It is, the, in my opinion, the worst interpretation we've ever had of Sonic, save for the TV show Sonic Underground, which sucked. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, but you know, I, I think those movies are fun. I like them. But just to see that, like, Sonic finally has some respect and favoritism within the world <laughs> and it's and it's all due in part to this this um this movie series that's like honestly just okay it, it really gets me hopeful and, and excited for a potential future where like the games too are also just like really captivating people again and getting people excited it drives me nuts because as a sonic fan i always gotta say this and if you're around my age range i know you can understand what i'm talking about dude I had to grow up in a world where I constantly get got told get told to this day, oh Sonic yeah Sonic sucks whatever but you know what was cool though Sonic Adventure two baby Sonic Adventure two battle oh my god Nintendo GameCube that game was so good or fucking like Sonic Heroes like people are like out here being nostalgic for Sonic Heroes from two thousand three I'm be honest with you I love Sonic I don't know if there's a single Sonic game I hate but Sonic Heroes is like the worst Sonic game of all time straight up. And Sonic Adventure, while I understand its relevance and its significance to the series, is not as good as you remember it. I'm just here to tell you, Sonic Adventure, both of them, are not as good as you remember it. It's okay to be nostalgic for a game. It's okay to enjoy the game. I'm glad people still remember those games fondly. You know, I, I remember those games fondly. I like Sonic Adventure a lot. I've played those games many, 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 many times. But Sonic has been better than Sonic Adventure since those games. And Sonic has been worse since those games. The problem is Sonic can't... They, Sega cannot find a way to get the world to take Sonic seriously enough for them to stop a minute and just, like, get over the nostalgia and just be like, oh, this is a... I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, take Zelda, for example. I, I thought Zelda struggled for a long time where everyone's like, oh, but Ocarina of Time is the best Zelda game of all time. It's like, yeah, but no, it's not. Like... Ocarina of Time is an incredibly important game for its time. It was incredibly innovative. It, it, it influenced and inspired so many games that came after it. Don't get me wrong. such an important game. I get why people care about it. But Wind Waker is 10 times better a Zelda game. Um, Skyward Sword, I know it's a controversial take. Skyward Sword is 10 times better a, a Zelda game than, um, than, than um, ocarina of time majora's mask a better zelda game than ocarina of time and you want to know what if we're taking 2d games into account as well a link between worlds is a better zelda game like i'm sorry they have made better zelda games since however it took all the way until 2017 when breath of the wild came out what, what was that like 20 years after ocarina of time for them to finally put out a new zelda game that was like guys shut up about your nostalgia shut up about how we all owned a nintendo 64 at one point in our childhood just like let this franchise evolve and be good still. And Breath of the Wild was the one that was like, oh, fuck, man. Breath of the Wild is, like, a great game. And it just, like, re it put people in their place and, like, reestablished that, like, a game is not always pigeon-held to the most nostalgic entry, you know? The best Mario game is not Super Mario 64. I understand you're nostalgic for it. And listen, if it's your favorite, that's fine. You're entitled to that opinion. But, bro, Super Mario Galaxy is a really goddamn good game. Came out many years later, and it's way better, I promise you. And it's just that kind of thing with Sonic, where Sonic just hasn't had that moment where it's like, guys, Sonic Adventure 2 is not the best Sonic. I know it's the one you remember fondly, and that's great. I hope you enjoy those memories for the rest of your life. But I promise you, there have been better Sonic. Sonic Generations, Sonic Colors, Sonic Unleashed, all better than Sonic Unleashed. 
and I'm hoping, I don't think this will be the case. I, in fact, I'm very confident it will not be the case. My my expectation for Sonic Frontiers is it will get like a Metacritic score of like a 68. It will be like a D plus. Definitely not the worst Sonic game, but definitely not the best. And that it will be split. Sonic fans will be divided on it's either a really good game or they're really disappointed in it. And people who are not Sonic fans will be like, I don't give a fuck. It's Sonic. I don't care. <laughs> that is my that is my um, my my hypo uh, my, my hypothesis. That is my. That's my prediction for how Sonic for Frontiers is going to go. But if any Sonic game in recent history, like really recent history, has had the opportunity to change the narrative, it's been this one. Sonic is in the good graces of the people with the movie series. This game is really trying to spin the formula on its head and really trying to take it to new heights. I would just like to see for once in Sonic's goddamn life for people to be like, you know what? Yeah, Sonic Adventure 2 was a good game, but, 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 I'm not fucking eight years old anymore, and I can acknowledge that things happen after 1999, but Sonic Frontiers is a really good modern Sonic game. You know, it's like, oh my god. Obviously, the game has to prove itself. I'm not saying we should give it our respect and attention just because it exists. No. If the game sucks, the game sucks. You gotta hold it. You know, Sonic Forces was not a great Sonic game. Sonic 06 was a bad, bad Sonic game. Shadow the Hedgehog, Sonic Heroes, not great games. But, like, I just I just want to see Sega nail it. I want to see people have an open enough mind to let fucking go of their, like, their, like, identity that's built on I'm a 90s kid. I played Mario 64 and Pokemon Red and Blue and then fuck you. It's Ocarina of Time or nothing. It's like Zelda did it. They managed to overcome the impossible and be like, fuck you. Ocarina of Time is not the best Zelda game. Now appreciate Breath of the Wild. It's a really tall order to think Sonic might do the same. And I personally do not believe it will. But man, oh man, this is this is the game, or this is the closest Sonic has had since Unleashed, I would say, for it to have the potential to reset the narrative and be like, hey, listen, a new bar has been set for Sonic. A new day is dawn for a blue hedgehog. And uh, I don't know. I, I got to stop. I know I know. this is like an Xbox podcast, and a lot of Xbox gamers are like, I want blood, I want guts, I want boobs. And if someone talks about a little blue hedgehog, I'm going to click off and give a two-star rating on iTunes because I'm a British listener, and apparently for some reason my reviews with British listeners are just really not great. So, <laughs> But all, all joking aside, I don't know. I'm just very excited for this game. I have, I have very uh, high expectations because I know that I'm generally easily pleased with Sonic because I just love getting to play as this character. I just love the fast and frantic gameplay. I just love getting to explore more in this universe. So I know that whether it's my favorite Sonic game or my least favorite Sonic game, I'm probably going to get a lot of enjoyment out of this game regardless. So I'm excited for that regard. But just there's so many things. Like this game has a lot of promise. Sega is kind of concerning me with the idea, with the fact that like, People at Sonic Team are like, the fans just don't understand the game. Trust me, it's ready to release. And Sega is like holding off on a release date until two months before it comes out. And these kinds of things that get me a little nervous, you know. But at the same time, like the game looks really good to me, but Sonic fans are divided. But people are like kind of high on Sonic right now because of the new movies. Just all these many factors are just mixing together. And I'm like, just let this game fucking nail it, please, for the love of God. But uh, yeah, that's it. No November 8th. Um, shortly after Call of Duty, a day before God of War Ragnarok, uh, a couple weeks after Batman Arkham. Um, but other than that, there's nothing like super huge coming out. You know, that's the thing. It's like, obviously Sonic is not necessarily in the same ring as like Call of Duty and Batman, but those are the big AAA games that are coming out relatively around this time frame, um, God of War. 
And uh, honestly, the good thing for Sonic is there's no other all-ages children's game to dominate the market the way Sonic is available. Like, Nintendo has, like, nothing coming out of this. Actually, actually... I'm wrong. I keep forgetting. I, I don't pay attention to Nintendo anymore. I think they have a new Pokemon game, and I think Splatoon 3 comes out this this fall. So I could be completely wrong. Kids might be going Splatoon and uh, Pokemon over Sonic Frontiers all day, but it seems like at least on the PlayStation and Xbox and PC front of it all, fuck you, Nintendo, keep you aside, Sonic is kind of wide open. Like, hey, you're looking for an all-ages game? You're looking for a good game for kids? You're looking for a good... Um, cartoonish, whimsical game that's not about taking out a gun and shooting someone's face off. Sonic's here, and I'm facing new frontiers. Look at that. Look at that. Hire me now, Sega. I'll be your PR bitch. I'll tell them all the things they want to hear. I don't know. I'm just I'm just super hyped on this game. So, Sonic Frontiers, Black Tail, Atlas Fallen, Phantom Hellcat, uh, just many other. I dude, I thought I thought this was the best show we've seen in a while. I, I like blew Summer Game Fest out of the water for sure. And, and the last thing I want to say before we move on from, um, from from Gamescom is just this. Let's give a huge round of applause to our developers and publishers and, and friends over in Europe right now because I have so much beef. Not really, but I, I have a little bit of umbrage with um, just North American developers, American Canadian developers right now. Sorry, Mexico. There's really not a lot of developers over there. Oh, also they – sorry, also side note real quick. I don't know why this wasn't mentioned in my notes Crossfire X was there as well. Big old update. I've already gone home. Like, as soon as I got home today, I, I immediately updated and tried out the new update. They overhauled the entire UI way snappier, way faster. They added all these new modes and, and ways to play. They added a new Battlefield mode where it's like like a big map domination mode with fucking Titanfall mechs in it. It's fucking crazy. They had tons of new weapons. They added um, the thing that Halo Infinite will never add, which is the ability for you to play another match, like vote to stay in with your lobby and, and, and matchmaking again and again to keep players engaged and playing. They added so much shit to that game and fixed the menus and the UI so much and did a great job of distinguishing to newcomers what the difference between all the modes are with classic and modern gameplay. It makes me so sad because it looks like um, Crossfire X literally just launched in the way that it should have launched back in the springtime. And I think if the game originally met consumers with this version, with this iteration, this update, I think the game would have fared a much better fate than what it is now, which is everyone hates the game. It scored terribly, and um, it's been written off, and its player base is struggling to stay alive and sustain. Uh, but I, I got to say, I cannot wait to get back into more Crossfire X this weekend because the the updates that they announced and then immediately went live at Gamescom – um, are are great and incredible, incredibly helpful to that game. New maps, new modes, way snappier, way more streamlined and better put together and easier to read and use uh, UX and main menu and everything. No more chugging or lagging or anything. It's snappy and perfect. I'm really excited about that. So also shout out to that. So there were a couple of Japanese games shown, a couple of Korean titles and, and Chinese titles. So a little bit of representation from Asia for sure. But for the most part, Gamescom, a very European-centric uh, event taking place in Cologne, Germany. I want to give a big shout out to our European developers and publishers because this event was full of games that we will be, we will be playing probably in the next 12 months. Tons of new games, tons of new IP, new developers, newish publishers, just new shit everywhere. The event was not... 
All right, here are 400 games owned by the same publisher because the whole market has consolidated. The event was not, here's three more Star Wars games, two more Marvel games, uh, another sequel to Call of Duty, another sequel to um, some PlayStation game that no one will criticize a sequel because we only criticize sequels if it's for like Halo or Gears of War and whatever else. You know, here's just a shit ton of more sequels. Oh, and here's some Ubisoft free-to-play bullshit no one cares about. And here's some fucking... um, sequel to Dragon Age it's not actually ever coming out because we're just talking out our asses at this point. That's I feel like that's all we get right now from the big from the big developers and publishers in in uh in the US and in Canada and North America. But here comes this event that's like mostly all centered around our friends in Europe and all these German and British and French and Polish and Swedish developers and publishers and all this shit are out here putting out awesome new ideas, realistic timeframes, gameplay, cool original ideas, new talent helming, not just the same guys making the same shit over and over again. And it's like, bro, like take a minute to just like give the European game development scene a round of applause. Cause we got some like incredibly talented people making some incredibly exciting games and they're just shaking things up. Like I'm, I'm walking away from this event. I feel like normally I walk away from like an E3. I'm like, okay, I'm excited for it. The next game in this series I already love or the next game in this series I already know I love or whatever. But I'm walking away from this event and I'm like, I'm excited about like five games from five developers I never knew existed until today. And that to me is just like everything I want to see in gaming. I just want to see new people have new opportunity to make new shit. It's, it's it's super exciting and don't get me wrong especially in games nothing you know sequels make more sense in gaming than they do in anything else you know ga- like sequels and movies are usually cash grabby sequels and games are oftentimes an opportunity to make a decent idea a great idea so sequel video games I'm not inherently against it you know I I do get tired of the sameness it just it just feels like so much of the North American game game development scene is sequels to games we've already played a hundred times or free to play cash grabby multiplayer whatever games as a service blah 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 you know whatever season seven of this and uh, Gamescom was just a real big breath of fresh air to me because I'm like this is what I want to see can you believe they announced like a billion games at games they announced like 25 games at Gamescom and not a single one of them was Star Wars can you imagine that like (laughs) Wow, like that's just wow. I'm just mind blown right now. So I don't know. I just wanna, I just wanna wrap this up by saying, like, dude, shout out to our uh, our European developers and publishers putting out some cool shit, making gaming pretty exciting for the next year or so, um, with what all we know is on the way. And uh, also, Sonic Frontiers, I can't fucking wait to play you in November. And last but not least, Dead Island Two. I cannot believe you're not vaporware. Cannot believe. All right, that's it for Gamescom, guys. I told you, it's a massive fucking news week. We've got more stories to get through, so uh, fuck me. We're, we're going to have to move through it faster because I don't want to give you a three-and-a-half-hour podcast. One guy talking for three-and-a-half hours, God bless you if you choose to listen to that shit. So we will move faster through the news. Luckily, we really don't have any comments or anything to get through this week, so we're, we're, on the, uh, we're over the hill. But our next story, this was right before Gamescom earlier this week. Bungie shows off Destiny 2's next expansion. So Bungie had their big annual showcase that they, they've been doing for a while now. And uh, I was and um, during it, the big news, the big reveals, as we all expected, is the next. what's next for Destiny. We knew Witch Queen was last of the old roadmap we had been familiar with. So what's next? Well, Witch Queen, as someone who recently just played through it, 
definitely teases what's next, and uh, Bungie just confirmed it. So the next expansion, Lightfall, will be coming on February 28, 2023. So that's our next Destiny expansion. The studio uh, showed at their, their showcase on Tuesday. Uh, they showed it with a new trailer, which you can go online and see for yourself. It's pretty fucking awesome. Lightfall will be followed by one further chapter, which Bungie said will be a complete saga and will fully complete its first saga of Destiny. So I guess um, Lightfall and then the second part of Lightfall, which will come out probably a year later, and that will complete its first saga for Destiny. Let's see what else there is to say before I, I, I uh, just uh, commentate. Uh, oh, yeah, also they announced Fortnite and Fall Guys are getting Destiny skins and shit like that because, of course, they are. Why not? So that's on September 17th, so I won't even give that the um, the light of day because I'm so fucking tired of that stuff. But uh, Bungie also announced that Destiny 2 expansions, Shadowkeep, Beyond Light, and Witch Queen w- will now be free to play um, for the next week on all platforms. So if you're not, if you haven't already caught up on all that, you can um, you can do that. And it's no longer planning on sunsetting any any additional uh, expansions as they have in the past. Aside from that, Bungie also confirmed that they are working on new IP and they plan to bring at least one new IP to market before 2025. That is likely that new hero shooter multiplayer game that has been teased for a long ass time. We also know that uh, Bungie is working with. Uh, Chinese tech company NetEase for a Destiny-related mobile game, which has invested $100 million to become a minority shareholder uh, in the company since 2018. I don't know how that works now that Sony owns them, if they're still invested, but nonetheless, uh, poo-poo to that. But yeah, all I got to say on this, obviously this is kind of the trajectory that Destiny's been on. It's like every year, new expansion, next spring it will be out, and then next fall we get the next announcement and so forth. Lightfall is awesome because this is this is uh, aesthetically from what we got from the trailer that you can tell this is the point now where Bungie is starting to have a lot of fun with Destiny and they, they've had fun with these things in the past but to have a whole expansion a new story arc have this kind of fun lighthearted tone is is cool it's un- unprecedented for Destiny where they're going for like a very neon 80s Miami Vice kind of like electric future but still within the art style and realm of Destiny kind of crossover. And it's fucking cool, dude. Like, like guns shooting, like light lasers, and just hot pink and and green and purple neon everywhere, and just all that shit. Like, the armor looks cool. The weapons look fucking cool. The new the new um, uh, territory looks looks super cool. And I'm all about this. I, I I love this. Destiny has been one of those things that's just been ongoing for almost a decade at this point. It's like you gotta have some fun with it. It can't always just be like. Like I finished, I finished um, Witch Queen just last week. It's such a perfect timing, and and I'm like, this is cool, but it's like I just feel like at this point, I I spent almost a decade of my life playing these these Destiny expansions where it's just like Savala and Ikora and fucking all these people, and they're just like Guardian. The light has you know the the the, the light has been taken from the Guardian, and we have to all oh, the Traveler has been captured, and we have to fucking and everything's like so dire, and it's the same like core cast of ten people, and they're always going on and on about the same shit, and like I'm sure many of you can relate to me in this, like most Destiny players, my brain can only process like about. 24% of what's actually going on in the lore of Destiny, even though when you do understand it, it's really, really cool. And um, just to see them do something where they're going to continue that narrative, but they're going to introduce new characters and get really fun and ridiculous with the setting. I'm like, hell yeah, that that is the spice and the kick in the butt that I think Destiny needs to keep it new and fresh and exciting. And I love to see them do that. So I'm really excited about this next expansion. Destiny continues to be this game that it's the one and only games as a service type game that I have in my life where 
I, I, once or twice a year, I just love to burn a couple weeks of my life away on Destiny, grind up, hit the new light level, play the new expansion, do all the things I, I've missed out on the past six months, have a great time with that, and then shelve it for the next you know, six months or until the next expansion or whatever. And it's continued to be a reliable, fun source of um, of game time for me um, ever since 2014 when it came out. So shout out to Destiny 2. I'm excited for Lightfall. Looks good. Um, you guys let me know what you think about that. I know we got some Destiny fans who listen to the show. So let me know if you got any interesting commentary as pertains to Destiny. And if you have any interesting things to say about Sonic the Hedgehog, that goes without saying, please comment in. Now, here's the thing is, the next story is a massive fucking story. But the problem is, this story broke hours after last week's podcast went up. So if you listen to other video game podcasts, you have probably heard this story beaten to a pulp a million times because it's a massive story. But it, it we're like a week late to it now because it, it came out right after last week's podcast went up. So it might feel like old news, but for this podcast, this is the first opportunity we've had to discuss it. So... I will try not to dwell on it too much because I'm sure you're already familiar or sick of it and just more interesting news has happened since with Gamescom, but it is nonetheless massive news and I really still don't understand how the fuck this is happening. So, speaking of Europeans, uh, VGC reports, Embracer Group have announced another round of acquisitions, oh boy, including the rights to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, whatever the fu- however the fuck that's even possible. In a, in a series of press releases uh, made... Last week, the Swedish company announced that it had agreed to acquire a number of companies, including Middle Earth Enterprises. The deal with Embracer Group is a, quote, vast uh, vast intellectual property catalog with the worldwide rights to motion pictures, video games, board games, merchandise, theme parks, and stage productions relating to the iconic fantasy literary works of Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit by J. Hard R. Token. The company also announced plans to acquire a number of video game companies, including limited-run games, Singtrix, Tuxedo Labs, and Tripwire Interactive for those... Actually, let's just read them and go back to it. It's also launching its 11th operating group, which will be named Embracer Free Mode, which will be focused on the retro classic and heritage gaming category, as well as investing in iconic gaming and entertainment properties. Under the Free Mode name, the company has also acquired Tetsujin, Bitware, Games, and Geotech. Hmm. The full list of acquisitions confirmed from this one day are announced as follows. Middle Earth Enterprises owns the IP rights to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Uh, limited run games, collector focused physical games publisher. They've been getting a lot of attention recently because they're really popular in the uh, video game collectors kind of realm of things. And obviously, Middle Earth, we'll save that one. You know, we'll talk about that in a bit. That's the big one. Tuxedo Labs, a Swedish studio specializing in tech driven games. First was Teardown, never heard of them, but good for them. Tripwire Interactive, a U.S. studio based in, uh, based, sorry, a U.S studio best known for Maneater, Killing Floor, and Rising Storm. Uh, fun little side note about Trip, uh, Tripwire Interactive. They are located in Roswell, Georgia, about 20 minutes away from where I grew up. I, I know exactly where these guys are. It's crazy to see they've only gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over time. Uh, Singtrix, creative, uh, they create the vocal processing effect technology known for karaoke and gaming equipment. Okay. Tatsujin, Embracer's first Japanese studio, founded by Shoot 'em Up Studio, uh, Toplin's co-founder, so Tetsujin, that's the first time they've had a Japanese team, that's important to note, Bitwave Games, Swedish studio with a passion for retro games, and Geotech, a gaming accessory brand. Another company within PC slash console gaming that, for commercial reasons, is not disclosed today. So that's the last one, is a company that works with PC gaming console that, for whatever 
certain reason, they're not even allowed to disclose who it is. So it could be someone working on a game right now for a different publisher that for some contractual obligation, they're not allowed to disclose this. But it's fucking insane. Uh, according to Embracer, the acquisition of Middle Earth Enterprises, limited-run games, Tuxedo Lab, Stripwire, Racing, all of them, uh, costs about $576 million U.S. million uh, with further payment linked to financial and operating targets, bringing a total potential cost to $786 million, which is mind-bogglingly cheap when you consider not only just how much shit they got, but the fact that they got... Middle Earth Enterprises included in that, and they didn't even pay a billion dollars. Like, what the? F- How the fuck was Star Wars two billion dollars? Anyway, speaking with the acquisitions of Limited Run Games, Embracer CEO Lars Wingford says, and as an avid collector, I admire the Limited Run Collector editions. They build a strong brand with the re- which resonates with players. We see opportunities for Limited Run to further grow their business with with. Um, Carbon Engine by bringing back classic games and extending the footprint of geographically uh, through synergies with blah, blah, blah. That all sounds like word vomit. Next up, the news marks another round of acquisitions by Embracer, which increased its portfolio of companies drastically in recent years to become one of the world's largest publishers. I think it's the world's largest. They have like 125 teams at this point. You know, like fucking, what, what does Microsoft have? It's like 20-something teams. They have 125 teams or so at this point. It's fucking insane. The Swedish company announced in May that they plan to acquire a large portion of Square Enix's Western, Square Enix's Western development with Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix, which come with IP like Tomb Raider and Deus Ex. They also acquired companies like THQ Nordic, which is where they really got founded, where they really started, you know? Coke Media slash Deep Silver, Saber Interactive, and Gearbox Software uh, back in December 2021. You'll remember back in the early days of Embracer, it was broken into three uh, subsects. It was THQ Nordic, Coke Media, and Deep Silver. And then at one point a year or two ago, they formed all of it together under the umbrella, under the umbrella of Embracer Group. Um, I, I miss these simple days when it was THQ Nordic. <laughs> um, but yeah, and oh yeah, and also in December 2021, uh, they purchased French board game company Asmodee for 2.75 billion euro uh, in the largest acquisition to date. That cost more than Lord of the Rings. And with that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think that's also how they got um, that other Lord of the Rings game. Last year was acquired. Last year, when they acquired Gearbox, the Borderlands developer, for 1.4 billion US dollars. Uh, in 2020, they purchased World War Z and Witcher 3 port developer Saber Interactive uh, for 525 million. And in March, Embracer acquired Dark Horse Media, one of the leading US comic book publishers, for an undisclosed sum of money. All right. I really only want to focus on Middle Earth Enterprises because all the other acquisitions, it's like, it's kind of within their wheelhouse, right? What else can we say? They just keep gobbling up everything and we can assume that they will continue to do so. But how the fuck did someone buy Middle Earth Enterprises? I want to be very clear. I don't know who in J.R.R. Tolkien's estate had the original ability to sell the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit rights and everything. And decided to sell. I know at one point it was like United Artists owned it a long time ago, and then it's like WB. I was under the impression that WB owned it. I guess they have some affiliation with the movie rights or something like that, but basically now it's all owned by Embracer. I just want to be incredibly clear. As someone who um, has a college degree in literature, uh, J.R.R. Token is like, he's like one of the literary authors you study as just one of the greatest, most bright minds, not only for his writings, but also, um, his, his, um, his analysis and his, and his reporting as like a literary, 
a student, as a scholar of, of the literary world, his interpretations and, and commentary on, on like great like Middle English and and, and Middle Ages like uh, English authors and shit like that. Like it's it's just like when I think of Lord of the Rings, first thing I think of is not the movies, it's not the video games. I think of the author J.R.R. Tolkien and like what a what a seminal and just important fundamental uh, human being that man was to the literary world and how everything he built with that with 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 the Lord of the Rings with the Hobbit and with the Middle Earth lore and universe has just been like I don't want to say bastardized because I know generally we've gotten pretty mo- mostly pretty good movies and video games out of all this but it's just been taken so far from this like literary scholarly just I get, let me put it like this. When I think of J.R.R. Tolkien, he is like a slightly more contemporary um, writer in the vein of like a Shakespeare <laughs> or like a Wordsworth or something like that. Like one of the great writers or playwrights or poets of all time where it's like this is a man who we will respect and regard as one of the most pivotal and seminal authors in all of literary history. And everything he did, you know, you think about fucking Shakespeare today and it's like we read his old fucking plays and we go, why do we need to know this if you're a school-aged child? And you're like, who gives a shit what this old dead man had to say and what he, what people used to think was entertaining or funny? You know, that's what we think of. But then you think of someone who I consider to be just as important as this man, as someone like Shakespeare rather, like J.R.R. Tolkien, and it's like, oh, I know that guy. He got bought out by that big European conglomerate that buys all the video game teams, and they made all those, like, fucking shooty-shooty bang-bang games, like, for PlayStation and shit, right? You're like, that guy, J.R.R. Tolkien, yeah, I know that guy. He Like, it's just fucking mind-boggling to me how such an important IP and such a from such an important and seminal and historical, you know, uh, like, just... Uh, foundation just such a such an important beginning has transpired over the decades to like movies and TV show and Amazon Prime Plus and subscribe and blah 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 the shitty fucking Hobbit movie that like could have been done in a one two hour movie and was just because money spread out into this like super over the top melodramatic uninteresting fucking trilogy of movies about a children's book and this fucking like video game series and EA and Warner Bros and blah 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 and then Embracer swoops in as like we own all of entertainment now fuck you and my mind just twists and I cannot wrap my brain around how we got here this is the single acquisition I, I, I actually let me let me be clear this outside of Microsoft acquiring Activision this is the second this is the only other acquisition I've seen that has broken my brain to this extent. I just don't get how anyone at any point in history was like, yeah, we can sell the rights to 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 J.R.R. Tolkien's um his world, his his this IP that he created. I almost struggle to want to call it an IP because it seems it seems demeaning to what he's creative created rather. Uh, I, I understand Middle Earth has, or Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth, whatever, has gone on to be such a cornerstone for entertainment. But it's just I, I to see it go down this like just garbage regurgitated buy it and sell it and make it and just keep doing the shit. Treating Lord of the Rings like how we treat like Star Wars or fucking Indiana Jones. It's just it's 
it's kind of dehumanizing. It feels like we are in a way like stripping art of like its core essence and just being like, fuck you. We are whoring out JRO tokens, greatest works for money. And I guess that I guess they've been doing that with Lord of the Rings forever. And I mean, I guess they've been doing that with many, many, many works of art forever. I mean, that's all art's ever been, right? That's what entertainment is. It's basically trying to whore out artists' work in a way, I guess. So in a way, I'm going on and on about nothing, I, I suppose. But this is really just me trying to articulate how hard it is for me to even understand and fathom how this has even happened, you know? And now Embracer just happens to own Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I'm sure they'll make plenty of Lord of the Rings games. And I know they have already honored uh, and said that they will continue to honor these pre-existing games in development. So we know that Gollum game that's that has been development forever. We know that's still on the way. And um, EA is, we just found out EA is working on another Lord of the Rings game. So I'm sure that will come to fruition and still happen. But other than that... <laughs> Movies, Amazon's got their TV show on the way, um, future video games, it's all Embracer Group, they they own it, just just the same way they own the guys that make that game where you play, the guys from Roswell, Georgia, USA, who make that game about being a shark and chomping people up on the beach, and, and, and the same conglomerate that has a, a member from the Saudi government on the, on the board, and from fucking... Uh, Tencent on the board, and they got, they got fucking, they own, <laughs> God, destroy all humans and all this shit. Those same people, that same conglomerate, they now own the literary works and the rights, the IP rights to the Lord of the Rings. It's just, I don't know, it's crazy to me. You gotta be a fucking idiot to have ever relinquished those rights. I understand that was first done many, many, many decades ago, ago before any of this could ever really truly been foreseen by any normal human, I guess. But to think that at one point, someone likely in, in J.R.R. Token's family had the rights and owned his estate and then sold it off and started this fucking, this tract we're in now, you know? One of these days, you're going to go to Universal Studios theme park and there's going to be a Lord of the Rings land presented to you by Embracer Group. <laughs> And I'm just going to be like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Cause like I said, I'm sure you guys have heard many other takes from many other podcasts, but there's that next up. Let's do some closing stories. Really. I don't, I don't want to, um, I'm actually going to straight up remove the NPD numbers at, at the end of the show, just cause normally we do talk about that, but I don't want to take up too much of your time guys. But this last one, I just want to food for thought real quick. Uh, VGC reports, this is just a little quick Phil Spencer comment, but Phil Spencer expects the number of platform-exclusive games to decline over the coming years. Before we even get into the comments, I want to say, no duh. I think Phil Spencer, this is just an example of Phil Spencer speaking very candidly on, I think, an inevitable thing, and I, I appreciate the way he speaks about this. But in a Bloomberg article, Spencer says, games being made available for multiple systems uh, was better for long-term health of the industry and the products being tied, than products being tied to a single platform. Um, on console exclusives, he says something we are just going to see less and less of. Maybe you'll happen to be. In, so he, this is Phil Spencer's quote. He says, "Quote: Maybe you happen to be in a household uh, to buy an Xbox, and I buy a PlayStation, and our kids want to play together, and they can't because we bought the wrong piece of plastic to plug into our television." Phil says, 
we really love to be able to bring more players in reducing friction, making people feel safe, secure when they're playing, allowing them to find their friends, play with good friends, play with their friends rather, regardless of what device. I think in the long run, uh, that is good for this industry. And maybe even the short term, there's some people in some companies that don't love it. That's kind of referring to PlayStation. But I think we're going to get over that hump and see that this industry can continue to grow. It proves out to be true. Now, we'll just stop right there. Um, obviously, that's kind of poignant in the back and forth we've been dealing with recently with Microsoft and PlayStation and this um, Brazilian, with this Brazilian, um, what is it, the word I'm trying to say? This this group that is trying to vote on the the, the acquisition of Microsoft getting uh, Activision, and uh, we saw the back and forth, the little console wars between Activision or between uh, PlayStation and Xbox. But uh, the bigger thing here is. Obviously, we, we all appreciate Phil Spencer because he often speaks candidly with these kinds of things. And the thing I really appreciate here is for him to be able to speak like this, to be the CEO of gaming for Microsoft and to represent Xbox like this, and to be able to say that quote particularly, maybe you buy an Xbox and I buy a PlayStation. Our kids want to play together, but they can't because we bought the wrong piece of plastic to plug into our television. I don't think, I, I do think Phil Spencer is at heart a gamer. I do think He's always, you know, we know he comes from a game development background that he he has always represented uh, what is best for the gamer, the player, the developer. And I truly believe he still, you know, at, at his core cares about that and believes that. But as the head of gaming for Microsoft, one of the biggest companies in the entire world, one of the only other companies that could afford to buy fucking <laughs> Middle Earth uh, <laughs> enterprises. Anyway. But as someone in that position, for him to be able to speak so candidly and say something like that, I, I think it not only speaks to his character and, and his just ability to, you know, to speak like a human, but more importantly, for the sake of the story, I think it has to do with really underlining how much Microsoft's focus for gaming is not on selling console hardware. Because you would not say something like that if your number one goal was to try and outsell the competitor. And we knew, we've known for a long time, we've talked about many times on the show, the, the, the purpose right now is about services more than anything. Selling your games and selling your services, not your box. Your box is an option, is a, it is a way for your consumer base to interface with your products and your services, but it is not the, one, the end all be all. And so obviously that just confirms or affirms furthermore that Microsoft's number one goal is not to sell more Xboxes than Playstations. They'd like to, but it's not their their main target. And for him to talk about this high tide raises all ships kind of initiative um, just further highlights how it's about breaking down these barriers because the more and more it's about getting Game Pass on other platforms, getting cross-play enabled on all these other platforms, it breaks down PlayStation's strong suits, makes them play nice with the other guys, and puts Game Pass in a better position to be more attractive as a service that plays all the games and is available on all the platforms. And this is how Xbox wins. They strong arm by getting their service everywhere and by playing nice with others and by trying to disable all the barriers. So at the end of the day, it's not about which platform, which game, which console exclusivity. It's just about do you have the service that gives you the access easily to the game so you can play with your friends. And it's like a little bit of like, you know, being being good to the gamer and to the developer, uh, but it also isn't all altruistic. It is ultimately for Microsoft's benefit because I, I think obviously right now it's really beneficial for PlayStation to finally be putting their games on PC and finally be embracing crossplay and things like that. But 
Xbox's end goal isn't just, oh, look, we got PlayStation to play nice. Isn't that great? It's, no, we want to get Game Pass on PlayStation. We want to get PlayStation games on PC into Game Pass PC. You know, we want to get more games into our service. Because we don't give a shit about selling the box. We give a shit about having the most players through our subscription services. And this kind of, in a way, really underlines that in a way I feel like we haven't seen Phil Spencer indirectly um, kind of uh, make easily aware to us. I don't know. But I don't want to speculate on that too much because, again, this is a very long episode. I want to be respectful of your time. So that's it for all the news this week. Lots and lots of news. Let's real quick wrap up with the important enough news stories, important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. We do have a handful of VGC reports that golfing legend Tiger Woods has been revealed as the cover athlete for PGA Tour 2020, sorry, 2K23, almost a decade after uh, his last game with rival EA Sports. Um, so that was announced this week. That's actually a pretty big deal. Uh, for the competition of the golf games. VGC reports Sega have announced it is producing movies for two more of its franchises, Space Channel 5 and Comic Zones, which is just like, what the fuck? The Japanese game giant confirmed that the partner with production company Picture Start to develop the film adaptation of the two 1990s games, which are incredibly irrelevant in today's world. But you see what happens? You guys go and watch a Sonic movie, and now they want to go make Space Channel 5 a movie. VGC reports Arcane Austin has released a new Redfall video promoting one of the most in-depth looks at the game, um, open-world vampire game we've seen yet. Released as part of the Bethesda's ongoing QuakeCon event, the 20-minute video shows insight into key development tell, including studio director Harvey Smith, creative director Ricardo Bear, and director Karen Seegers, lead produ- producer Aaron Carter, where they show more on the story, the open-world FPS, and how it is playable with a team or solo Next up, VGC reports Ubisoft have published a statement denying the claims that have been going around the past week or so that they are working on a game based on Marvel's Blade. They say, quote, sorry to slice up the rumors, but we're not making a Blade game and we can't wait to see what our friends at Marvel Studios are cooking up for next year's movie. Of course, there is a Blade movie coming from Marvel in about a year or so, but the the rumors still persist despite that. And lastly, VGC reports the Game Awards 2022 have been dated on Thursday, December 8th, The Game Awards will take place this year, which is around the same time it always does. So mark your calendars, gamers. That's our next big game event, other than some smaller things like Ubisoft's event in September. Guys, that is it for all of our news this week. Please, thank you so much for bearing with us. I love you. You are good. Let's round out. Let's calm down, chill out, take a massive deep breath. Go play, dude, go play some Crossfire X, man. That new update's really good. Give it a second try, please. Give it a third try. Give it a fourth try. I know I've been championing that game forever because I got good taste and you got something else but let's calm down and take a deep breath and round out the podcast with a couple comments shout outs you know how it goes go over to youtube.com slash xbox on podcast hit subscribe if you're not already click on the latest episode of the podcast and leave a comment say something nice like jesse you you uh you sure did cover gamescom thanks for doing that or say something like jesse how does any man talk into a microphone by himself for three hours straight fuck you and i'll either way we'll, we'll read the comments so we only got a handful this week so about we only got about three here so We'll get into this real quick, and then uh, we'll get out of here. So last week, some of you guys wrote in talking about hobbies, trying to share hobbies. I love this initiative to start talking about our hobbies. Who are we? Who listens to this podcast? Who we got here? Let's represent. A couple of you did write in. Rebecca don't wrote in and says, hey, Jesse, sorry I haven't commented in a while. I'm listening to your podcast. I'm just listening silently. So uh, good. We got shadow listeners. This is very good information. Xbox on listeners are real. As long as you guys comment in every now and then, it just helps me to prove to my mother that these are not all bot accounts. Thank you. 
But no, in all, all seriousness, I, I feel like you guys write in too often with a, sorry, I haven't commented in a while. I don't know if you're just like, I, I don't know what you mean by that, but I always just interpret it as like, I bullied you guys into being like, you better comment or I'm going to make you feel real guilty about it. Again, commenting is there in case you feel so inclined to do so. I always greatly appreciate it, but I don't want anyone ever to feel like I'm uh, <clears throat> trying to bully them into doing so. Although if you're not leaving a comment, you're probably a pony. All right. Rebecca says, I love the idea of sharing our hobbies outside of gaming and retro gaming collecting. Well, there you go. Your favorite retro, <laughs> you're a retro game collector and uh, Embracer just bought the uh, the company that's, that's uh, I forget their name, whatever. Fuck it. Let's move on. I'm building a 1932 A model coupe with a Fallout theme. Blue and yellow paint, vault number on the doors, and we can't forget about the vault boy bobblehead on the dash. The car is a little far from finished as I'm building from scratch, but with the help of my, uh, with the help of my father. I'm 28 and it's about damn time I own a, com a completed classic car, as I would love to make my father proud. He may not approve of the Fallout theme, but I'm sure many would appreciate it when I'm cruising down the street. So, for some fucking reason, I read the first half of that as like, oh, that's cool. You, like, bought one of those model cars and, like, you, you painted it and you're, like, trying to theme it to Fallout. It took me a while for my tiny, tiny brain to understand you're talking about an actual fucking car, like an actual 1932A model. That is incredibly cool. That is insanely cool, actually. That's awesome. I don't know. Is that something you're doing with your father? But anyway, uh, no, regardless, that's um, <laughs> that's fucking cool. A Fallout-themed 1932A model coupe. That is, uh, that, that's a little, when I, when I said hobbies, I'm expecting people to be like, oh, I like to, uh, I like to listen to music. I like to eat fast food alone in my car at one in the morning, you know, things like I do. I didn't expect someone to be like, I actually have the ability to restore a fucking classic car and um, build something with my hands. That's, uh, I don't, how the fuck do you even, I'm so confused. Am I not, am, I am reading this right, am I? Like, how the hell do you even get your, how do you even get your hands on a car like that? Like, I just, you would think something like that is absolutely impossible to buy or to find anywhere. Like, you know, it's not, it's not like a fucking 94 Civic, you know, you're not just gonna find it in a junkyard and buy it for 500 bucks and then build it up from, you know, from. I, I, sorry, this boggles my mind, but that's that is incredibly cool, dude. If you ever, uh, when when you feel comfortable to share it, feel free to send progress pictures of your car. That'd be awesome. We could I, actually, I guess we couldn't share it to the podcast because it's audio only. So never mind, you don't have to do that. But I appreciate you writing in. That is incredibly cool. Yeah, here I was about to brag about my world record for how many chicken chalupas I could eat at Taco Bell. But thank you for writing in, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Um, I'm, dude, I'm sure your father would be proud of that regardless. But Cronky uh, writes in and says, Hmm, hobbies. I love board games, video games, movies, especially horror, books, arcades, pretty much everything that's bad for your eyes. And I said, what about staring directly into a solar eclipse? And Cronky didn't respond to that because it was being a little snarky. Well, I, I knew all those things about you because we're related. Um, although I guess that technically doesn't make sense. There are probably people I'm related to that I don't know a lot about. But anyway, yeah, those are all pretty good things except for horror movies and board games. So you have a decent set of hobbies. All you need to do, replace horror movies with comedy movies. Replace board games with boring games. Replace arcades with cicadas. And <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, dude. All the all the most fun things in life are bad for your eyes, isn't that? Isn't that fucking? Isn't that the truth? I would love to know. Does anybody anybody who listens to the show? Do we have anybody here who can? Um, I just want to know if we have like any woodworkers or carpenters, or, like just anyone cool. Anyone who's like, oh, I can I can build a house. I build homes for fun in my free time. Probably not. I don't know. All right, uh, other. <laughs> this is just a label as other. 
Headhunting Halo writes in with our last comment and says, well, I finally got to Nobody Saves the World and everything is superb, except don't hate me and call me Nazi. The story, just bland on the story, but everything else is fun. I just started Dragon Ball Z for the first time and damn, I'm in love. I watched 12 episodes last night and only 287 episodes to go. I know, I, I know I'm late to the party on it, but man, it's so good. What are some of your backlog games you have to complete? Have a good week. Loves to you and your kitty. God, I love my kitty. Wait, bro, Headhunting Halo. Listen, man. No, you're you're right. You're not a Nazi. No, no hate on 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 your take for nobody saves the world. The story is not. I don't think the game is supposed to have a particularly engaging. I think it's supposed to be fun and light. I don't think it's trying to go for anything past that. So, like, if that's something you were hoping the game had and it doesn't have, I understand that that could be disappointing for you. But yeah, no, I I agree. I agree completely. The story is incredibly basic. It's just like you wake up one day, you're like, who the fuck am I? Where am I? What's happening? And then you find out that you're basically this god that tried to take on this natural evil that's taken over the world, and you just gotta power up, learn all your abilities, and then fight it back down. You know, it's a very, like, Legend of Zelda-type story. It's a riff on that kind of storytelling. So I don't think it's supposed to be anything super compelling. The the the, the magic sauce of that game is the, is the gameplay loop, and that's what's so beautiful. But I feel you. If you want a good, if you want a good story, play Yakuza 0. Uh, anyway, but this, this fucking Dragon Ball Z shit, this is where I gotta call you a Nazi. You out here watching Dragon Ball Z, I don't care if it's the first time, I don't care if it's the hundredth time, you watch Dragon Ball Z, you go directly to jail. Do not pass go, do not collect $200, you motherfucker. Why are you out here watching Dragon Ball Z? No, I, I, I don't care. I'm glad you're enjoying Dragon Ball Z, I know people really enjoy it, I'm sure it is captivating if you can, uh, just force yourself to watch it, I'm sure you'll get really into it. But the thing I, I the question I have to ask you, Headhunting head Halo, is, I thought Dragon Ball Z has gone off like many, I'm not even being sarcastic, like, or facetious, many thousands of episodes. Aren't there like 2,000 plus episodes of Dragon Ball? Or is it just Dragon Ball Z is is two is three two hundred three hundred episodes or whatever long? Is it they're different series? Is that what you're referring to? Because I'm pretty sure Dragon Ball Z is much longer than three hundred episodes or two hundred ninety nine episodes, whatever it is. Um, but anyway, as for backlog, dude, I don't I don't I try not to think of my backlog. My backlog always changes. There are probably well over a hundred games in my backlog. No joke. But um, at any given time, you know, there's there's a series of like five to ten games I'm thinking of. And I always like just randomly assigning them to times of the year. Like, like right now, I really want to play Plague Tale Innocence, and I want to play Yakuza Three. I want to get through both of those before Plague Tale Requiem comes out, and before the fall games that I'm interested come out, so I can just kind of get on that a little bit. I'm trying to get through Yakuza. Ideally, I would like to get through at least Yakuza Three and Four by the end of the year, um, so that I don't have to feel so bad when I just play a bunch of Sonic and Call of Duty this fall. I, I always tell myself every fucking Halloween that I'm going to play Until Dawn on PlayStation. I purchased it many years ago. I have it downloaded onto my PS4. I never fucking play it, but I really want to play that. I don't know. What else is immediately in my backlog? Resident Evil 2 Remake is in my backlog. I want to play that for Halloween. It's always the games I tell myself I'm going to play for Halloween. Those are the ones I never get around to. I don't know. The Mass Effect games, Dead Space, those have been in my backlog since before I had chest hair. There's so many games. Right now, nothing's coming to, to my mind, but uh, dude, if I were just looking at my... If I were just looking at the games on associated with my Xbox Live account, I could tell you a million games right now. Every, everything is in my backlog. Headhunting Halo. Everything. Uh, what about you? You tell me. You guys tell me. Tell me. It, it is therapeutic to talk about your backlog because no, it stresses everyone out and we will never truly... We will all die before we complete our backlogs. It is just a fact of life. Tell you what, God of War Ragnarok is about to be in my backlog. <laughs> anyway. So thank you for writing in, Head Unto Halo. I appreciate it. Thank you all for writing in. Thank you all for listening. As always, I appreciate you so much. 
Um, lots and lots of news. Uh, if you if you don't get through all the podcasts, I understand. Don't feel bad. <laughs> no more writing and saying sorry. You guys stop being sorry. But um, that's it for the podcast this week. You guys take care. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. Play some video games. Relax. Take care of yourselves. Spend some time with loved ones. And until next week, until next time, or until either Embracer, Microsoft, or Tencent completely buy you out for everything you're worth. Till then, power your dreams.